Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Apobianco with a shot, he scores! One second remaining on the power plate. It might have been deflected in front and gone just over the shoulder of Bennington. The Arizona Coyotes scored first. Thomas had it, lost it. Hayton in, shoot, score! The late penalty against Robert Thomas. It all started on the other end on the drop pass from Tarasenko with nobody there. Shot, score, Coyotes lead 3-2. to two. And the Blues have once again allowed three goals in a game. Now they trail three to two. Three seconds to go. Krug off a deflection wide. And the Coyotes hand the Blues maybe their most disappointing loss of the season. Three to two the final. Arizona with two power play goals send the Blues to their fourth straight loss. I think you can get rid of the maybe. That was definitely the most disappointing loss of the season. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You're listening to BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues have lost four in a row. They have won one game in regulation in their last eight games. Alex, this has to be rock bottom. It's got to be. There, there cannot be a sustained stretch where we watch what we watched a year ago where they went through some ups and downs early in the season they looked so good seven two and one after the first 10 games and then it just collapsed they started playing the coyotes and they were never able to really truly get back on track afterwards back to playing against arizona again this is a, a really tough spot in the season this is an inflection point and they got to figure out who they are as a team right now alex this game tomorrow night against san jose I'm not saying it's a must win, but damn, they better start playing at a higher level than what we watched last night. That was really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the worst loss of the season. And I don't think you can argue that at all when you lose to a team that's got one win. And I think the Blues played down to the competition. Craig Berube said after the game that the team just looked stale. They weren't quick with their plays. They weren't physical. It, it was a it was a perfect example of a trap game. And for the Blues, there was just no energy in that. And, you know, you can go the excuses route of guys being in and out of the lineup. You can go the route of the chemistry lacking because guys might not be 100%. Whatever it may be, it just doesn't matter. Because in that game, that was a must win when you were in the midst of a losing streak. And you... You need to win versus the San Jose Sharks, but more than winning, I need to see more of a energized group of players. You got to play your ass off. Yeah, because that Coyotes game. Curbs and I were talking about this on post game last time. There were five hits. There were five hits from the Blues in the second and third period combined. That's not Blues hockey. So you either need to change the style of hockey you're playing, or you need to get back to the style and get a, a stronger commitment from your entire group. So weird because early on this year, I was like, you know what? I think I know who this team is. And that's something that I didn't say really at any point last year. I never felt like they got their identity. This year, they had it. 
and they seem to have fallen off from it. And it's strange to watch. And I think a lot of that goes back to not excuses, but explanations. They didn't have their guys in the lineup, but now they do. The only guy that was missing really last night was Braden Shin. And that's why I was so surprised to see you have a kid making his debut. You got Sonny back into the lineup. You got Krug back into the lineup. You've got O'Reilly who played, I thought his best game since his return from COVID that should lead to energy on the ice. And they just looked lifeless. After the game, I was listening to your post-game show with Chris Kerber, Alex, and Kerbs brought up what I thought was a fair point afterwards. It's not something that you, if you think about all the post-game shows we've done together over the years, you almost never hear me say you didn't come ready to play. You know, but, but this is a night they didn't come ready to play. He's right. And it wasn't just not coming ready to play. It was Craig Berube saying afterwards at the post-game press conference, that they didn't play with any sort of urgency. There was just not a lot of energy or life the first two periods, so that was a choice I made. I mean, third period, we had a ton more and controlled most of the period. You can't, you know, go out and uh, just not play with any... You, you'll lose in this league to any team if you don't show up and with any desperation and urgency in the game. And Tori Krug says that this team needs to play smarter. I thought at times we worked hard and, and we did the job. I thought at times we've just played stupid. Um... You know, there's there's no secret formula. We just gotta gotta go out there and stick to what makes us a good team. And and uh, I think more more often than not, we're gonna beat the other team that lines up across from us. So it, it has nothing to do with the opponent. Uh, it's all all about what's going on in the room. So you didn't play smart. You played stupid, in the words of Tory Krug. You didn't show up ready to play. You didn't play with any desperation or urgency. This is according to the broadcaster of the team for 20 years the head coach of the team, the first head coach to hoist a Stanley Cup here in St. Louis, and Tori Krug, who has become a pretty significant voice within that locker room at this point in time. These aren't just random figures that are spouting off. This is like when Tommy Edmond comes out and says, hey, we are unprepared coming into a game. This is stuff that's got to get corrected. And we had a text, Alex, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I'm not sure if this is the low point in the season, but it needs to be. That came from the 636. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what happens from here on out the rest of the year. You can't have this feeling again. What you're feeling today as a Blues fan, what they're feeling today as a team, this has to be the last time they feel this in 2021-2022. Yeah, look, it's a long season, and this is game number 15, so from there, you know, you build off of something like this, and you try and put, you write, your, you write the ship, and right now it's a confidence issue, I think, more than anything, where the Blues just feel like they can't get a victory, they tie things up, and then they lose late. You go back to the Carolina Hurricanes game, the Edmonton Oilers game, I can look at both of those games and say those were strong performances from the Blues with a couple of mistakes that leaked in there. You look at that game last night against the Arizona Coyotes, that wasn't a strong performance. There was nothing good from that except Tory Krug, in my opinion. And that Oscar Sundquist made it out healthy and that Scott Perunovich had a good game. Those were the those were the highlights from this Kyrou game. was good. Special team, eh, Kyrou was good offensively. Yeah. Defensively, it's an, it's an issue right now. And, and this is a whole thing. You know, Craig Bruby said it also on post game that right now you got guys who are just trying to make the cute pass. You're not, you're not going north-south style of hockey where I get into the question of uh, do they need to switch things up in the style of play? Because if they're not getting the commitment from guys doing the forecheck and playing heavy and going after the puck, if you want to play that speed game, then you need to, you need to lean into that. I don't think that's where they're at right now, but it's just, it's dumb mistakes. Tory Krug said it best. You know, 
Three times they were trying to clear the zone last night against the Arizona Coyotes, and they couldn't clear the zone, which results in Thomas turning to puck over, taking a penalty, and then Bennington giving up that goal. That was terrible. Your, that was the worst moment of the night. Your special teams has taken a massive hit. You gave up two power play goals on two opportunities last night, and then on top of it, you had three power play opportunities, and you didn't score a goal. Right now, it's just a kerfuffle. Great word, by the way, so I'm going to use that at some point it's again a today. a real word. Kerfuffle or kerfuffle? I think it's fuffle, but I'll look it up for you. Well, whatever it is. The kerfuffle that was last night, it was every area that was spewing off in different directions. This is a matter of, I think, putting yourself in the win column, and I think you right the ship once again, but there are some underlying factors that are starting to be concerning. Special teams, lack of scoring goals, and giving up the amount of goals that they're giving up. It's everything. It's everything. You want to blame Bennington right now? I guess that is everything. I I, I don't know if he's the guy. I know he's not the guy that is to blame. But sure, he deserves a portion of it. It's the the pie chart, right? The the blame pie. How do you want to divvy up who gets what percentage of the blame? Bennington, sure, there's some of it that goes there. You want to blame the defense? Yeah, absolutely. They deserve some blame today. You want to blame the forwards for not playing defense? Yeah, absolutely. There were some moments last night where they were issues. Uh, The turnovers? Whoo, buddy, that needs to get corrected now. Some of those drop passes through the neutral zone. I hate the drop pass so much. What what are we doing here? They're right there. It's you're throwing it to nobody. Why are we doing this? Uh, There were a couple of great no look passes last night from Robert Thomas and a couple of them that ended up being a problem for the blues last night. It's everything. Everybody needs to be better. And that's what happens when you play against a team like the Coyotes and you lose. The thing that I'm happy about today, Alex, and it's a strange way to put it, but When you come off of those losses against Carolina and Edmonton and you were close and you were playing against a quality opponent, you can look in the mirror and you say, you know what? We were close and we played against good opponents, but the same issues that showed up in those games were showing up last night. When that happens and you lose that game against Arizona, now it's time to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, what do we need to do to get this corrected? Because this is no longer just hurting us at the end of games against good opponents. Now we're losing to the worst team in the league and it's not close. The Coyotes are terrible. I heard the stat earlier today. I think it was uh, Randy who mentioned this on the morning show. They're plus minus on the year in terms of score differential is 12 goals worse than the next worst team in the league. They have been one goal worse per game than the second worst team in hockey. This is a horrible hockey team who is trying to lose, not the players, but the front office. That's who you lost to last night. This stuff's got to get corrected, man. Yeah, well, in the second period is the glaring weakness right now for this team. I texted you guys last night after the Blues' second period where they let Arizona back into this hockey game. They're being outscored in their last, what was it, four games, five games? They're being outscored 9-4 to four in the second period. Oof. It can't happen. You, you, the second period, and this is... You're starting to see similarities from last season. You're, you're seeing kind of the checkout in the middle of the hockey game, not playing a full 60 minutes, but you're seeing the second period killing this Blues team, and you're also seeing the month of November hurting this Blues team. Curbs and I talked about it last night. Last season, you started off the year 7 3 and 1. And then you went 3 7 and 1. Yeah, you went 2 7 and 1 in the month of November. Now you started off 5 and 0, oh, and now you're sitting at 3 4 and 2. So there are things that have to be corrected. Yeah, last three, year started, five and two. You started seven, two, and one. You went three, six, and one in your next ten. That was what ended up dooming them for the first portion of the season. This year, guess what? They started the exact same record, seven, two, and one. They're one, three, and one in their five games since. 
You can't allow this to avalanche the way that it did a year ago. How do they correct it? What are the next steps? And how do special teams play into all of that? It's 1117. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll answer all of that. And how does Craig Berube fit into all of this? I do think that it is a conversation that is probably being had among some fans today. I think it's crazy. But we'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I mean, tonight I feel like our special teams let us down on both sides. Um, power play didn't show up, didn't get the job done. Penalty kill, same thing. So, you know, throughout the year, both sides of the puck they help you win games and, and we didn't tonight that was Tory Krug after the game yesterday talking about the special teams letting the team down Alex the special teams have become the identity for the St. Louis Blues in 2021 that can be both a good and a bad thing and in recent games we've seen the flip side of it because early on my god were they good and it was tantalizing to watch right mm. you get so excited and it's like man this is going to be so much fun as the blues are just going to dominate everyone with their power play and their penalty kill had been outstanding to start the season the problem is uh it's taken a little bit of a step back in recent games over the last three games they are now two for 12 on the power play that ain't great and in terms of their penalty kill, they have allowed four goals in their last three games on the PK. That also is not good. This team is living and dying with special teams right now. And part of it is they're still just outside of the last couple of games, not really drawing that many penalties. So you're not getting enough opportunities to be able to be on the power play. That wasn't the case last night. You ended up with three of them. And over the weekend, you were pretty good there, too. But prior to that, one, 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 four, one, 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 in terms of the penalties that you had drawn. Who do we appreciate? This this team has changed its identity in a lot of different ways, they're going to have to get back to being a five-on-five team to reach their peak. I was more concerned with the penalty kill last night than the power play. Like, I know people hate doing this, giving another team credit, but Scott Wedgwood played a really good game last night. Yeah, he did. I I mean, I know people look at him as, oh, he's a waiver claim goaltender, but, like, he he made the stops you needed to make, and the Blues didn't put traffic in front of him. But the power play, I think they put together nine total shots and three opportunities. That's a pretty good outing for a power play. Now, would you have liked to see more pressure in front of the net? Yes. 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 <laughs> one, one, one. But you also like those zone entrances just were terrible. To me, the penalty kill was the problem because both times. By the way, they dropped to 17th in the league now. They were top three for. They were, they're 17th the, in the league right now? Yeah, on penalty kill. Hold on, because I'm Mr. Data, and I have my stat book here. Like, I'm like Ooh. BK, but, like, you know, I don't. They're tied with the Buffalo Sabres for so the 17th best PK in the league. They, so last night they came into the league at 6th. So you dropped 11 places on a penalty kill after one game. That's the problem, though. Arizona had the puck in the zone the entire time. Blues were unable to clear, and shots from the point beat you. And that's where I start to look at Jordan Bennington there and say, ah, you got your goalie has to be your best penalty killer. And a couple of those times, look, he was screened in front of the last goal that went in was deflected off of O'Reilly's stick. That was just a great play. Hard to play. Hard to blame a goaltender for that one, but the first one is what I don't like, but then on the defensive side as well, like you're just not shoving guys away from the front of the net. You're letting bodies take away Bennington's eyes and Bennington's an aggressive goalie. He's at the top of the crease, so power play always goes through the ebbs and flows of the season. That's going to happen. Penalty kill to me is the bigger issue because you rely on that way too much. Their defense in general just hasn't been good enough. 
And this gets into the Craig Berube conversation. I don't want to have it. You don't want to have it. I don't think Tanner wants to have it today, but it's got to be had. Tanner probably wants to have it, that jerk. Whoa. We mentioned this in the open. The Blues started last season 7-2-1, and and in their next 10 games, they won three. This year, they've started the season 7-2-1. They've won one of their last five. Mm. It's a similar trend to what we saw a year ago. Last year wasn't good enough. And all of us would agree with that. There were also explanations as to why it went the way that it did. It was a COVID year. This team, for whatever reason, just couldn't seem to get things back on track in the COVID situation. They, Whether it be because they're too close and they need to be around each other for dinners, whatever. Uh, if it's because they draw from the energy of the crowd. Whatever the explanation, excuse, whatever you want to call it, they didn't play well during that time. It's supposed to be different this year. And when they got hit with adversity a year ago, whether it be in-game or throughout the season, they didn't respond well. Alex, what I'm most interested in finding out is how this team, this collection of players, will respond to the adversity. Because there's no bigger punch to the face than what they got last night. That is a hit to the ego. That is a hit to you as a professional who went out there and your coach said after the game, we didn't have enough fight. Your players are saying we played stupid. That was a bad effort game by the blues and it's one thing to not play well it's another thing entirely to not play with effort i think that there are going to be some questions asked if this continues not now what the what this looks like for baruby if things keep going in a downward trajectory and i don't think we're there yet i don't want to be there at all but i think those questions among some fans are going to start being asked if this doesn't get corrected soon. It is, and frankly, it was asked last season, and you guys remember how visibly upset I was over those conversations, mm-hmm. and it's going to be brought up again if this team struggles because, look, this team's just too good to not be a contender for a Stanley Cup this season, and you have to bring those into conversations. But, look, I've always stood by this. I, I, I never go straight to the coach Same. because – if you're going to sit here and say Craig Berube is the problem, what's the excuse for the first five games of the season? Did Craig Berube, did they just not play to Craig Berube's style? Did they just have success? Like, we've seen the success of Craig Berube's system. The problem is it gets away from it, and how do you get it back on track? And for me, that's not a coach. That's more of a leadership group of saying, hey, we need to get back to this style and everybody buying in. And I don't know how much a coach can sit there and say, like, the coach can only do so much. You could give them the plan at practice. You can go through it until you're blue in the face. But the players are the ones that go out on the ice and have to put it to to fruition. And if they're not doing it, there's the problem. But I will also say that if we're going to start getting into the conversations of Craig Berube needs to be let go, if I'm Doug Armstrong... And before I'm doing that, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to find a trade for Vladimir Tarasenko. Because you you brought this scenario into the season, which we thought was going to be a problem. I don't think it's the problem. I agree. I, 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 think, I, I think you're looking at a guy who is playing really well, but in the back of his mind is playing really well because he knows he wants to get traded. Before I fire a head coach that has won a Stanley Cup, that is, what was it, BK? Top 10 and longest tenured coaches in the NHL right now. right now. His winning percentage is really good in the early portion of his career. Before I fire this coach and say, this isn't working, I need to get him something that he's lacking. And it's to T-Bone's point. 
He needs better defense because I think right now it's a revolving door. They they rotated things around once again at practice today because they're not liking what Scandella and Pareko are providing. So before I go to Craig Berube and say, that's it, we're done, we got to go somewhere else, I need to make sure I give him the best team to succeed. And I think right now they just don't have that. You got to eliminate all questions first. You got to eliminate all other possibilities for why they're not playing well before you make a change that you can't go back on. If you decide to make Craig Berube a free agent head coach, that means you're going to have to live with the consequences of that. It can always get worse. We saw what happened when they fired Ken Hitchcock. We got worse pretty damn quick. What happened when you fired Joel Quinville? It, it happens quick. And if you get the wrong guy in that job, you can go from winning 63% of your games, which is exactly what Craig Berube has done so far in his blues career to winning 43% of your games. Yeah. And the culture can go to a place where you didn't expect it to. It can go south very quickly. And if you then hire the wrong guy again afterwards, oh boy, now you've gotten into a desperate spiral. Before you get there, and I don't think that should even be a conversation just yet. I don't either. And someone just texted in and said from the 314, this has got to be the dumbest conversation you guys have ever had. Don't even start this conversation. Look, the reason this conversation is had is because people are already starting to talk about it. And the reason being, he does not have a contract extension. Yeah. And, and the other thing to that point, too, is we are legitimately just about three years, I think two days away from being the three-year anniversary when he fired uh, Mike Yo and replaced him with Craig Brewer. Because you can't get too far down the, the tunnel and not be able to dig yourself back out of it. And that's why teams are always so quick to pull the trigger. Nobody believes that Berube should go or it's his fault. But there are people who are talking right now that's saying, eh, it might be an issue. There have been 23 head coaches in the league that have been hired since April 15th of 2019. This is how hockey works. I don't like it. I think it's wrong. I think it's dumb. I think it's stupid to use um, Tory Krug. Tory Krug's nice. phrasing. But this is the way the hockey works. And for the Blues to get back on track, I do think it's going to take a potential move for a defenseman, Alex. I'm with you. What does that trade look like? Well, you've really got one trade chip, and it's Vladimir Tarasenko. So before you do this, before you talk about anything with Craig Berube's job security or anything like that, you got to make the moves necessary to be able to find out if he can win with a personnel that you think he needs. They did a really good job in the offseason. Bringing in Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich, we all loved those moves at the time. Right now, you're not playing well. And in your last five games, you're 1-3-1 and one as a result. You've won one game in, over, er, in regulation, rather, in your last eight. Things are going south quickly. If that continues, it's time to make that move. It's time to the escape hatch that you had coming into the regular season was Vladimir Tarasenko. By the way, credit to him for last night making a play that showed how much he wants to win for this team as well. Not just playing for himself. Him at the end of the game, saving what could have been a potential yeah. uh, empty net goal. He and Pareko. I thought they were going to score and tie things up when he and Pareko made that play because it was so good. That was an awesome play, yeah. and it was a pure effort play by Vladimir Tarasenko. It was the type of play that people have criticized him for not making in past years. So if we're going to criticize him in the past, we got to give him credit whenever he makes a play like that. Good play by him last night. The escape hatch that is available to this team is the Vladimir Tarasenko trade. And eventually, if this continues, that's going to be the move that they have to make. And if things still don't get corrected afterwards, that's when we can start having this conversation again. I don't like it. I think it's stupid that this is the way that the NHL works. Unfortunately, this is the way that the league operates. And you've got a potential candidate internally to be the next head guy. So between Montgomery being on the bench, 
Berube not having a deal after this season, the Blues playing poorly right now, and having come off of a year and a half now of underperforming performances, that's where the conversation comes from. Um, and it's it's not hard to see that, I don't think. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Speaking of coaches, speaking of college football coaches that get fired quicker than expected, has college football run out of quality coaches to hire? It certainly seems like that may be the case. We'll explain it next on 101 ESPN. Stupid. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We are almost to college football coaching carousel season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. The last couple of weeks of the college football season, this is when you see the firing start to mount, Alex. We've already seen a couple of them, and I think they're going to continue moving forward. And according to CBS Sports, it sounds like coaches are... Coming at a premium right now, they have run through almost every coaching candidate that is available over the last few years, Alex. This is wild. So CBS Sports says that at the end of this cycle, at least 48 of the 65 Power 5 schools, which is roughly 75%, they did the math on that. I didn't check it, but I think they're right, have changed coaches in the last seven years. That's like an NHL rate of turnover. 21 of those 48 schools that changed coaches in the last seven years have done so multiple times in this stretch. Alex, it has got so bad that according to athletic directors in the story on CBS sports, they are running out of candidates to hire. They're like, there's just, there's nobody left. We've run through everybody that could be out there. Yeah. That is a legit power five coaching. Now candidate. you're looking at the janitor that cleans the, <laughs> yeah. the bathrooms for the school that says, well, he's a football fan. He might be good. The guy that had one good year at Charleston Southern is going to start getting some, uh, some, some interviews for well, some of these wasn't teams. Wasn't he a water boy on our team back in 2014? <laughs> yeah. He might be a good guy for you us. Know, there's a, there was some sort of a connection between Mizzou and that guy. Maybe he makes some sense. I thought he thought about going to school there one year. The reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because we are we are starting to see some of these programs that I think need to learn just where they are in the pecking order. Like if you're a team that is perennially eight and four, nine and three, I'm looking at a team like Iowa, who's been a really good program for decades now. Kirk Ferentz is a very good college football coach. He's not a great one, but a very good one that keeps them competitive every year. They're consistently one of the 35 best teams in the country, I would say. If they fire Kirk Ferentz to go from good to great, they have the very good possibility of going to terrible quickly because Kirk Ferentz is a good coach and you might get a bad one. Alex, I think what's happening is a lot of these teams are saying, oh, we could be great. Look at how close we are. If we just got the right guy in here, he could take us from good to great. Yeah, but schools can't afford those guys. And well, they, there's just not very many of them finding the next Dabo or Nick Saban. If it was easy to do, everybody would be doing it. And what you end up with is these teams that fluctuate wildly from going eight and four, eight and four, nine and four, nine and three, eight and four, seven and five. Their programs get sick of going seven and five to nine and three fire that coach. And then they bring in the new guy. And it just becomes this repetitive cycle of the builds and the decline and the builds and the decline at some point. I think we as college sports fans have to recognize it's okay to just be good. It is. If your college football program is like Missouri was under Gary Pinkle 
and your your bad years are going seven and five, and one out of every four years you can go ten and two. That's good enough. It is, and, and you need to be accepting of that. Places like Nebraska, you're never going to be what you were under Tom Osborne. It's just not going to happen again. Settling for being solid in college sports is something that not enough programs are doing right now. And that's how we've gotten into this spiral of there being so many coaching changes over the last seven years that we have legitimately run out of quality candidates for these teams to hire. My question, though, in play devil's advocate here if we do this to where you're sitting at and saying okay some teams need to know who they are in the packing order and you hire the, the great coaches and the other ones just need to stick with average and sit there at seven and five does that take a, a hit to I don't want to say interest in college football because the interest is always going to be there but that's but that but does that take a hit towards the interest in competitive teams in college football do you know what I'm saying? So, like, if you're sticking with, like, let's say certain teams, all you can get are seven and five coaches where you're going to be 500, maybe a game or two above. Doesn't that take the interest and the withdrawal away from fans of, like, oh, but we got, a, we got a shot at one of these guys. Hey, so. Illinois went seven and five. I tell you what, I but would get crazy. Sick of it. You'd get sick of it. You would. I don't know. They were really bad for a long but time. But the excitement for Brett Bielmo was there when he was hired. Yeah, to, to potentially lovey. get you to seven and five and eight and four. <laughs> I, I didn't get the lovey like, one. I, I hate to be that guy, but if if Illinois consistently goes seven and five, and they have the odd year where they go ten and two, nine and three, like the Orange Bowl year, you've you've got to be, or excuse me, the Rose Bowl year, got to be happy with that. That that's got to be a win for you as a program. If you find the guy that can get you there, and he can consistently keep you above water, it's the same thing for Mizzou. I would say that about my alma mater as well. We overrate where we are in the pecking order. Missouri is a twenty to thirty five job. That's where they, they fall on the range of the best jobs that are available out there. You're oh, an SEC team, which helps you up. Um, but you're not going to compete with Alabama and Georgia and Florida every year when they're at their best. You're just not, realistically speaking, because of the recruiting grounds that those teams play in and the history that they have. I think what you're saying, Alex, is do the fan bases then fall out of love with their programs when you're consistently going 7-5? to five? You can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Yeah, they do. And I think that's the problem. I, I think this is both an issue for fan bases and also an issue for the administrations because they always think of how do we keep the money flowing? How do we keep the money flowing? How do we keep the the uh, resources getting bigger, better, faster every year? Can we all slow down a little bit and just appreciate the fact that you got a pretty good team? And I think sometimes we we fall into the trap of not appreciating what's actually in front of us. This year might be a pretty successful season for Illinois. Next year, if they go six and six, pretty good year. If they after that go seven and five, pretty good year. That doesn't mean Bielema has failed because he didn't get you to nine and three. It means Bielema is a pretty solid coach who's done a pretty good job at Illinois. If Eli Drinkwitz goes seven and five next year, that's a solid job. If the next year he goes eight and four, Pretty darn good job. Maybe he's not going to win a national championship at Missouri, but guess what? Nobody has, and it's probably not going to happen. There's like 10 teams every year that actually compete for that level in college football. It's different than being in college basketball, where a lot of these teams can actually compete for a title. I'm glad you brought that up because that was what I was going to throw out here too. There's only four college football playoff spots, and there's only 10 teams usually that we're talking about that have a legitimate shot for it. That's why it seems a little bit weird for us, for colleges to be doing this of, 
All right, seven five seven five eight and four. Ah, we need it. We can get that guy. That's going to be great. There's only four spots, and I hate to say this. Also, I think it's only going to get worse when the college football playoff expands because you're going to get those programs like a. Uh, let's use Iowa. You used Iowa as an example. They're a team that you look at them this year. They would be a college football playoff team point. if we're at. I don't know, let's say 16, possibly even eight. But uh, that that adding more to that college football playoff and the more money that that's going to bring in is going to incentivize more colleges. Even in Illinois, for example, they have one good year where they're on the verge of being a college football playoff team. If it is at eight or 16 teams, they're going to expect to be a playoff team the following year. And if they don't reach that expectations, it's going to be who's the next guy that we can bring in that's going to be able to get us there. And that's what happened at Georgia, right? Georgia is one of these programs, though, that can be great because of where they are location-wise. They, for years, were getting to the SEC championship game and just falling a little bit short. They brought in Kirby Smart, who who is the guy. He, he's the guy to take them from good to great. They got it right, and now we see what that program can be. There's maybe 10 schools where that's the case where you can actually go from good to great consistently. So it, it's really tough to do with these other programs. We got this text. I think it's an interesting point. This is why I'm not a fan of one team in college. Mizzou will never be able to win a championship, and there's no point for me to invest emotionally invest in any one but a blue blood program. I do understand that to a degree. I think what's enjoyable about college football, though, is you can still have good moments. The Penn State game, if you're an Illinois fan this year, that was awesome. To be a fan and to be emotionally invested in a game like that is really cool. Even if you pick Penn State to cover. Exactly. Last year, for me as a Mizzou fan, watching Mizzou beat LSU, that was awesome, man. That was great. There are so many great moments that you can have as a college football fan, even if your team doesn't compete for a national championship. That's the joy of being a college sports fan is those individual moments where one game, one day, anything can happen. You think App State fans loved beating Michigan? Absolutely. Of course they did. That was a great moment for them. What happened the rest of the year? I don't know. I know they're a good FCS program at the time, but I don't know what they did the rest of the year, but they'll always have that. As a Mizzou fan, I'm always going to remember that Mizzou versus KU game in 2007. You know what happened after that? They lost in the Big 12 championship and didn't have a chance to go to a BCS bowl game as a result. Embarrassing. That sucked, but I loved that KU game, and I'm always going to have that as a Mizzou fan. And I think that's part of what I'm kind of referencing here. I remember the Rose Bowl. (laughs) Were you alive during the Rose Bowl? I was, but I was only four, I think. Appreciate the little things in life. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers uh, from the 314. Hey guys, anything in particular that stood out to you about the early portion of MLB's offseason? Uh, for me, Alex, it's still we're two weeks away from the CBA expiring as of today, and there has been basically nothing in terms of progress that's been reported. Yeah, enjoy the uh, crickets because it's just going to get quieter after uh, three weeks from now. Yeah, the crickets already, are just going to die. Off season's already been kind of boring. I won't lie. It's well, like you didn't get, get excited for Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, we've seen three deals. And actually, two. One of them was an extension. Three more than what we usually I see we at this would point. Wake up today. I, I thought yesterday was going to be the start. Yeah, we of had this a trend. conversation in, in the office today. 
I thought there was going to be a trend where yesterday we woke up and I was like, oh, there's a couple signings in baseball. This is fun. As John Mozalak once told me, young and dumb, Ferrario, young and dumb. He told you that, really? Yeah, because I asked him why he didn't have a bow tie on, and he said, well, I don't wear bow ties all the time. Young and dumb, Ferrario, young and dumb. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Mo. that on a (laughs) t-shirt? That's interesting. Thanks a lot, Mo. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Do you all think that Mike Schilt will be a coach in MLB next year? I don't. At this point, it's hard to see where the spot yeah, is. Unless there's a bench coach opportunity somewhere, which I, I mean, just, New York would probably be the only does spot. Does the Padres left, have a bench right? coach now that Skip's left? I think they. Did they name one or did they I just hire? I don't think they have. I yet. could see him going to the Padres still with that um, sense. with Melvin, but I, I, part of me wonders if Schilt even wants to be in baseball still. Like, you got you to gotta imagine his heart was broken when the team that he wanted to be a part of fires him after. Winning 17 in a row and setting a franchise record. So, yeah, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Schilt just says, you know what? I need to take a year and there's, just stays away. There still is a manager spot, right? The Mets haven't named anybody. The Mets are the only one. The A's haven't named somebody, have they? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. The point. Point. Melvin. Okay. He ain't going to the A's. He ain't going to the <laughs> Unless he wants to go to this right now. Las Vegas. He's not going to be going with there. the A's. He, I don't, and I don't Come think he want to go to the Mets because he's going another high pressure. Nobody wants like to go that. to the Mets. True, they can't even find a general manager. Uh, they yeah. hired the guy that's apparently friends with David Stearns. Oh, that's genius. Or they're going. To, that's, yeah, that's genius. Fine. That's like the L.A. Rams thing where, <laughs> yeah. hey, that guy had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. Someone, he could coach all. Someone offense. texted in and said six one eight. Mike Schultz jam is the bench coach. What? You're not hip enough to get that I reference. Didn't get that reference. I, I don't think he will, though. T-Bone's like, Schilt doesn't like jam, does he? I just don't think he will. I think he could take an advisor role, but I don't know if he'll be coaching because, like you said, all MLB these positions. MLB commissioner. Yeah. Oh. I mean, he's got to be better than Manfred or whatever his name is. But I'm scratching and clawing in MLB. I could see him being an advisor for somebody. That's what they, they announce. Did. Yeah, they announce that he's going to work with the minor leagues and somebody's system, and then next year he ends up coming up as a candidate for whatever jobs are available. This was a weird cycle. There just weren't a whole lot of jobs that were available, and the ones that were, it was pretty obvious who the candidates were going to be. I mean, the Padres wanted somebody that was super experienced, and there just so happened to be one of the probably five best managers in baseball who was available this offseason for the first time. Okay, yeah, you go get that guy if he's available. Houston decided to stick with their guy. The Cardinals had somebody internal. The Mets are the Mets. Like it does it ease weren't many great opportunities. Does it ease the frustration for Cardinals fans of Schilt not being f- picked up by another team for the Cardinals firing him? Like, because I wonder if the Padres swoop in and get Schilt immediately, then I think that would have stung a little bit more. Like, oh man, they make There's the wrong decision. Is yeah. Especially if he ends up having leading them to a better record than you. Yeah, or but you now that like nobody wanted, like the Padres had the opportunity to, and you're not hearing anybody offering him anything. I wonder if that that eases, eases things for the Cardinals fans. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final question here. Hey guys, I was curious your thoughts on Illinois against Iowa and Mizzou against Florida this weekend. Do you think either of them are likely to pull off the upset? They're both on the road, aren't they? Mizzou's at home. Oh, well, Mizzou would be more likely. Mizzou is an eight and a half point home underdog against Florida. Illinois, a 12 point road underdog oh, against Florida. Oh, that's come Iowa. down then. I think it was at 14 to start the week. Yeah, and same thing for Mizzou. Mizzou was a 10 point underdog. I think Mizzou is, I, I would bet them on yeah. the money line right now. I'd like, be more, I would go over to the, I'm curious what the odds are actually on that. I would go over to the FanDuel Sportsbook and bet Mizzou 
on the money line to beat Florida. I, I think I would do that as well. I, I think Illinois could put together a game. It's really weird to read into how they're going to play without Bielma because Bielma seems to get them fired up to play games, and he's out because he tested positive for COVID. I think, and they beat a top 20 team or top 25 team last week. It's going to be really tough to do it back-to-back weeks. I would probably bet that they at least cover. I wouldn't take them to win, though. I, I think this is one of those where it's kind of, without Bielma, it's just going to be more of a difficult task for them. And I was really good. Yeah, it's a really good football team. I found this over on FanDuel, Mizzou plus two sixty on the money line. So if you bet a hundred dollars, you could win two hundred and sixty dollars. I love that bet. If you're somebody looking for a little bit of value this weekend in college football, well, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, the fast lane made a great, great point yesterday. Why are we so obsessed with Trevor's story? We'll try to dive into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Why are we so obsessed with Trevor's story? The hair. It's a question the fast lane asked yesterday. It got me thinking. I really don't know. <laughs> I think it's because you're the one that needs to answer it. You're the one that's obsessed with them. I feel like I've kind of moved on. Oh, have you? Yeah. Yeah. Duffy and Harrison. Yeah. They've got the, they've got my heart. You know, they, they really have captured my heart. For, you just left an eight for a five. Yeah. No, he left a nine for a one. I've also got Sean Mania though. Oh, so I've good. got multiple options okay, here. You're as faithful as your options, right? And I, I had a lot of options that were available out there for me. Here's what BT had to say yesterday. They were they were talking about the Cardinals and looking away from shortstop to get the upgrade offensively. He makes a really compelling point here, and it made me go back to doing some more research last night. Here's what BT had to say. The Cardinals definitely, 100%, need a more consistent offense. But, like, my question to you is, do you care where the offense come from? No. Like, we say, okay, well, they they need a shortstop. We're saying they need a shortstop because you look at the market and you see five guys out there that are yeah. legitimately upgrades from your guy. You just want offense. That's what you should want. You want, yeah. you want offense. It doesn't matter where it comes from. DeYoung and Sosa, whoever it ends up shaking out, if that's the case, they're fine. They're solid up the middle, but you got to find your offense elsewhere. It's an interesting point. Do you care where the offense comes from, or no. do you just want them to be better offensively? I want them to be better offensively. I don't care where it comes from. I mean, I know that none of us really want to watch Paul DeYoung play every day next year. I get that. I do. I, I understand Truth. why you would feel yeah. that way. But if Paul DeYoung is hitting seventh or sixth in your lineup next year, that's not so bad. But that's not making your offense better. If you go out there and get one of these big bats, we're talking Schwarber, Castellanos, Canna, of Avisil Garcia, Eddie Rosario, Nelson oh, Cruz, Jack Peterson. I thought Peterson. you were going with the pre- with the premise of Paul DeYoung could be better next no, season. No, 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 gotcha. no. I'm okay. not on that path at all. You know what? Shame on me for jumping in too I'm soon. I'm saying if you're looking for the upgrade offensively, it doesn't necessarily have to be a shortstop. We look there because there's five dudes who can do it and who would be great upgrades for you. I would be all in favor of them signing a shortstop. But if you're telling me in that market, the shortstop market, I'm going six-plus years and $25 million per year at a minimum. Or I can go to some of these bats that are flawed. Kyle Schwarber, not really a defender. Castellanos, not really much of a defender. Abasel Garcia, not much of a defender. Eddie Rosario, Jack Peterson, eh, probably best exclusively against right-handed pitching. Nelson Cruz, only a designated hitter. Yeah, we if know I can, that from 2011, am I right? If all I'm looking for is an upgrade offensively, in some ways it even might make more sense to go this path. 
They might be cheaper. They're definitely going to come on a a lower uh, year amount. So you're going to have to pay them for fewer years. The term is going to be shorter. And there's a more obvious fit for them at designated hitter for you next year. I think I, I'm not off of the shortstop bandwagon. I would love them to go that route. Given the cost, though, and given what you could do if you go this route, I think it might make some more sense to go with one of these big bats. I guess my question, though, is are you making it better on a daily basis if you go this route? Because are you playing this person at DH every single night? If you're signing one of these dudes, absolutely. Well, that's. But then what does it come down to? How does Gorman and Yepes and are those the bench bats? My, that's my only pushback with why you wanted the shortstop. And, and it wasn't Trevor Story. It was Corey Seager and Carlos Correa. And those two are long gone now after we know who's in the bidding wars for them. But those were the ones that you wanted. And then it came down to Trevor Story because we felt like he was the next best thing. But shortstop was the glaring hole because it was the position that you were upgrading defensively. You were fixing your offense and you knew he was going to play every single game. DH, I... I guess I just would be still a little hesitant of, are we going to see that guy on a nightly basis? If you pay him 10 plus million dollars per year, absolutely. And I don't feel like the Cardinals would go sign a guy solely for a DH position. I'm starting to fall back in love with Nelson Cruz, boys. Oh my God. No, no, no. I said no to J.D. Martinez, and now you're going with somebody who's older? Yeah, he's going to be 42 next year, I believe. Yeah, 42. There's no way the Cardinals would sign him. Why, though? He's got too much swag, man. He is quite literally the best hitter available on the free agency market this offseason. He is better as a pure hitter than any of the shortstops you guys want. I'd push back on that. Based on what? He struggled a lot in Tampa Bay. Okay, so for 50 games last year, he had a 725 OPS. I've got a a 10-year history before then. But a guy that's 42, I have to have some concerns of that being a slow Off of a 50-game sample size? There were dudes in the 60-game sample size in 2020 that sucked, that were great in 2021. I'm not judging anybody off of a 50-game sample size. I'm not signing somebody for 15 mil that might need a walker. True. He is one year older than Adam Wainwright, and we all love Waino, and we were willing to give him a one year, seventeen and a half million dollar contract. If wow. I can get Nelson I Cruz, willing to give him a seventeen and a half million dollar contract. If I can sign Nelson Cruz to a one year deal worth ten million dollars, and he comes in and just mashes for me as a designated hitter, and then moving forward after this year, you've got that open for Juan Yepes if he shows out next year, or Nolan Gorman if you need to have him at second base as opposed or at, at DH as opposed to second base every day. Whatever you decide to do with it, it's available for you. It opens up some flexibility. I think Nelson Cruz might be your best option here. He hits righties, he hits lefties, he just mashes everybody, he's the best hitter on this market, and he's going to come cheap compared to these other dudes, and it's a one-year deal as opposed to guys that you're getting for three to five. Here's my concern of going, if it is a Nelson Cruz route, is I don't know if I'm really going to know by the end of next year what I have with Gorman and Yepes at the big league level. Why not? And the reason I say that is because I I think if you want these guys, if you want to know what these guys are, they have to get consistent at-bats. And I can see where Gorman would get it at second base platooning with Edmund. I don't know where Yepes is getting it. And I don't mean just being, well, he's going to pinch hit for me in certain situations. No, I want to see him starting where he's getting four or five and at-bats you're not signing in certain anybody. games. No, you're not but going I, out not, okay, bill. I'm fine with that. I, I don't want to bring in a Nelson Cruz if I'm going to block the route for seeing what Yepes and Gorman I'm, have because I, I think am, those guys are going to be the So you're avoiding Nelson Cruz because of Juan Yepes. I'm avoiding yeah. Nelson Cruz because he can't walk correctly. Okay. <laughs> Let's get past the age for a second. I can't, man. Last year he hit 32 home runs, had 85 RBI, and that is in line with what How he's been as a player. How many strikeouts? Not many. He, he does not strike out all that much. 
He's not a guy that has a high strikeout rate. What's his P plus minus percentage in the winter against this team? He struck out 21% of the time last year, which is a really good strikeout rate. He, he does not strike out. He walks at an okay rate. It's 8, 9, 10% depending on any given season. Um, he, he'd he be perfect. He, he, he fits everything that you need from a DH for this team. And if Castillo, you're telling me Juan Yepes is the reason that I'm not signing him, get I out of here. I get, can't get believe we went about two hours ago. We were just talking about how great yeah, the Cardinals bench that. is. And next thing I know, BK's like, yeah, I want to go get the guy. But that's, that's a bench. That's not your DH. You don't have, have him to, to be have DH. I would have Yepes on the roster. But if you're telling me that I'm avoiding signing yeah. a dude that over the last three years is batting 290 with a 570 slugging percentage, yeah, look, if you're bringing all the way out of here If you're bringing these young guys in, you're not looking at them as a, an everyday DH hitter. You're looking at them as platoon options. I don't think it's good for them to just be guys that come off the bench. A platoon, yes, that I understand well, I because you, you have to learn Borman. how to play major league level. I think you have to but learn I think to there's be a guy, major league. There's guys that we've seen in the past, and I always throw Jed Jerko out in this. I know Hopefully these guys are going to be better than Jed Jerko. Jed Sorry, Jerko. But Je- no, but look at Jed Jerko. Jed Jerko always struggled coming off of the bench. But when he was in the lineup, he because he was notoriously an everyday player for the San I know, Diego that's Padres. What I'm saying. I need to know what I have in Yepes and then by starting Jed them, Jerko not just coming off the bench. Good. But they're 21. Not good, but they're but 20, 21 years old. He hit better as a starter than coming off of the bench. But these guys are young, T Bone. Like you got to get you get you don't jump into the middle of the ocean immediately. You start out by getting wet and seeing if you like the water. What? You put your toes in the water. That's the same. No, buddy. you start out by getting wet. You splash a little around. Man, I don't think that we're talking about the same you thing. You hover over the toilet to make sure that your colon's in good shape, man. Okay, we're going back to that. We had somebody earlier today say they went to the FCC to be able to complain about that. We should not be Did re- really? Apparently. Um, huh? so people don't like health. I, I just... Tanner, I, I can't believe we've arrived at this route. I can't, I can't believe you've fallen so in love with these guys that we talked about for the T-Bone 3 yesterday that we are now blocking Nelson Cruz because we have to find everyday playing appear, or plate appearances for Juan Bleepin Yepes. But, but my thing is, we talked about it too. You bring in an impact bat, you're cutting out, or you bring in some of these bench guys, you're cutting out on that opportunity as well. Like, if you bring in Nelson Cruz, are you going to bring in another guy to the ba- for the bench or no? No. Okay. No, if I bring in set. Nelson Cruz, that's my hitter. That's where yeah, I upgraded my offense this offseason. Nolan Gorman's your infielder. Lars Nupar's your outfielder. And you have Juan Yepes, who's there as well. Yeah. And then you got Andrew Kisner. That's your bench. I want a younger DH, too. I want a younger DH. I want a left-handed one give named Kyle No, give me Nick Castellanos, and I'd be fine. So here's the thing. The reason why I'm saying Nelson Cruz, because we've got to think about that, this holistically. you got to look at, okay, that's the hitter that you're getting. What are you doing pitching-wise? If you get Nelson Cruz for $10 million— I've still got 20 plus million dollars to spend on my pitching. I can go out there and if I want to make a move for a pitcher, I can maybe bring in still. I mean, I could even go to the top of the market and get Marcus Stroman. You know, I, I could go out there and get a John Gray or a Steven Matz, whoever you like in that 10 to 15 million dollar range and sign a bullpen arm or two. That's what it allows you to do. Meanwhile, if I go out and get Kyle Schwarber, who's going to cost 18 plus million dollars per year, or Castellanos, who might be in the 20 million dollars per year range, that limits increasingly the flexibility that I have to spend in that pitching market. So if you if you go big on one, you got to go small on the other. If the Cardinals are really thinking they need to get more pitching this offseason. It would seem to me like that would rule out more so the Schwarber and Castellanos route. I love those guys' as names. If they signed them, I would celebrate it. But if you're telling me I've got to have a choice between Cruz and one of those top-end starters plus a reliever or two, 
or Castellanos and probably not getting a significant starter this offseason, I think I would take the crew side of things because I, I don't think it's a significant drop-off offensively, and I get much better as a pitcher. So that that's the route that I would look at it. Alex, which side would you prefer in that in that conversation? I, I, I'm stuck on the Nelson Cruz thing, but in just the DH in a hole. Why do we hate Nelson Cruz? What's wrong with I, him? I just I want if I'm going to pay that money, I want a guy who's young. I want the prime of their careers. Right, so I don't want the twilight. You would rather have Jock Peterson than no, Nelson Cruz. I don't like Jock Peterson. You would rather have Eddie Rosario than Nelson Cruz. Yeah. Why? Did you just see what he did in the World Series? I did, but he also over the last three years has an uh, has an on base percentage of three hundred. That's Tommy Edmond. He's pretty I like good. Tommy Edmund. He's pretty good. He's Tommy two bags. Nelson Cruz has an on base percentage of three seventy, and he has a slugging percentage of five seventy, which is a hundred points higher than what Eddie Rosario you, you has can been in that keep same. Keep throwing stretch. the numbers at me, but I just. I, I gut feel. I just I don't know how I feel about Nelson and Cruz. I'm just the other, I, the other thing for me too is in all this conversation of DH. I don't know if that's where the Cardinals are going to view. The look, if I'm bat. looking at, I, D- I think what they're going to do is they're just going to go with all right. DH that guy needs a day off. This guy needs a day yeah. off. That guy needs off his feet. That's how I, I think, think they're, they're going to do it. Look, the DH for me. If if we're talking DH, I have a vision in my mind, and it's either Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos. And I think anything other than that, I I I don't know if it upgrades you. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I I want a World Series. I don't want to get bounced in the wild card like you guys want to. No, I'm, oh, I'm with you, but wow. I'm not an all or nothing. If they, I have if Trevor they decide, If they decide Schwarber and Castellanos have outpriced their market, I'm okay with going down from there instead of saying okay because those guys outpriced us. I'm okay us. with it, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be questioning their off season. You're gonna be questioning if they sign Nelson Cruz and um, who's your favorite in that mid tier pitching market? I just don't want to go He's with my favorite. He's a big Steven Matz fan. I no, I'm not. That's, you know better than I wasn't going to go that route because I know he dislikes um, Steven Matz. Probably like John Gray, Michael Pineda, something like okay, that. Let's go John Gray. They signed John Gray to a three year deal. They signed Nelson Cruz to a one year contract, and they bring back Luis Garcia and sign um, Joe Kelly. That's a good off season. <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks. That's a great off season. Coming up next, let's play a game of more likely to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us two options. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Was my mic not on? No, it wasn't on. Well, you didn't turn my mic on. I sang it. BK was having a conversation well, with somebody. There you go. Blame you missed him. it. That's song BK. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. More likely to happen. The Cardinals sign a big free agent, the level of Schwarber or Jock Peterson, or I see Bigfoot riding a unicorn later on this afternoon. You got a really hairy dude that lives next to you. <laughs> I've seen Bigfoot before. I've seen Bigfoot a couple of times. Lives around my area. Do we consider Jock Peterson a big free agent? No. no. God no. This team could sign. He was awful in the World Series. He was good in the postseason before then, though. But bro, he had the. Okay, pearls. Nelson Cruz was good a couple of years ago. He was great. I I Doesn't think he's going to be good likely. this year. Like Jock Peterson probably gets what one year, ten million dollars, something like that. He's Maybe a bad mf'er. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if the Cardinals don't sign anybody for more money than that. 
Yeah, I would too. Especially for how much money they have this offseason. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would say, what are we playing here? More likely to happen. How do you play this? Yeah, that's not likely to happen. Do we play that this way? It's more likely you he's not going to see done. Bigfoot. That's man. what I'm. Yeah, you're more likely not going to see Bigfoot on a unicycle. I don't think Bigfoot could ride a unicycle. Oh, for sure he could. I think weight management wouldn't be able to handle it because you'd have to, like, balance on I just it. heard BK typing. Do you think he was looking that up? If Bigfoot can ride a unicycle? What does Bigfoot weigh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, got to be at least 300. Yeah, I, the Cardinals are going to sign somebody of substance, so they're... You're not going to see Bigfoot, probably. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. Uh, more likely, Pujol signs with the Cardinals or the Cardinals sign Trevor Story? Did I say neither? I mean, that's the correct answer. I was going to say, because neither of these options are going to happen. But We're all on that same the Pujols? path, right? Yeah. Pujols not, yeah, no. not an option, really, for this no, team. No. I think Juan Yepes, if you want to talk about who Juan Yepes does block, I think it's Albert Pujols. No, we should trade Juan. Yeah, oh you should God. trade Juan and get Albert yeah. one last good ride. Lord, man. Just move on I'd from love him. one last ride with Albert. That'd be good. Yeah, I'll say it's more likely Trevor Story because I, I don't see any scenario where Albert Pujols is here. Yeah, I guess I'll go with Story too. I, I mean, I can still see a possibility of Pujols coming in, but it would be like late How? in the spring. Well, if you don't sign a Nelson Cruz or someone like that. Oh, God, is that your DH? <laughs> He could be a left-handed option for you off the, off the bench or Pools? as a DH. Pools is yeah. a righty. Or sorry, a, against left-handed pitching is what I meant to say. But Well, now you're blocking Juan Yepes, and we yeah. can't do that. You just no, didn't want not. to block Juan for a 44-year-old. Yeah, well, this one is actually good. Uh, but I I think it's more likely it would be Story, because if his market comes down, I could see the Cardinals swooping in. We've talked about it. One-year deal, maybe. I don't know if that's going to happen, but if it came down to – I don't remember what Robert Murray said to us a couple uh, weeks ago. It was like three years for $20 million or something like that per year. I mean, that's something I think they could do and would consider. Yeah, I I think it's much more likely that the Cardinals would sign Trevor Story. I don't think they're going to sign Trevor Story, but I think there is a 0% chance that they end up with Albert Pujols this offseason, and it's maybe... 10 to 20 percent so that they sign trevor story yeah it's at least possible all right more likely to happen the blues write the ship and vladimir tarasenko is a big reason why or vladimir tarasenko is traded and that is the reason why the the blues get back on track so more likely vladdy is a big part of the the blues getting back on track or that he is traded for the piece that gets them back on track I'll say he's traded for the piece that gets him back on track because I think that acquires you a defenseman. And I think the biggest issue for the Blues right now is the amount of goals that they're giving up as an entire team. It's now 10 to 15 that you've given up three or more goals. So I'll say Vladimir's trade writes the ship for the Blues because it gets them a defenseman to lock things down and they can continue to score goals, but the defense doesn't give up as much. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it would be more likely that they trade Vladdy. That's why they get back on uh, because I just look at this defense and I don't see it ever being able to right the ship unless they add a top four defenseman to help them. So I think it'd be more likely that they trade Vladdy and that's how they fix it. I think so too, just because we've, we've seen what it looks like when Vladdy is playing well. For this team and it hasn't been enough for them to be able to get back on track right now I mean Vladimir Tarasenko has seven goals and seven assists in his first 15 games so far this year he's been playing well defensively he hasn't been great but I didn't expect him to be a great player defensively that's not who Vladimir Tarasenko is even at his peak he's, he's fine but he's gonna have some liabilities from that respect 
So I think it's much more likely that they trade Vladdy and that gets you the piece that you need. More likely to lead the Blues in goals this season. David Perron or Pavel Buchnevich? I'll say Pavel Buchnevich. Um, I think it'd be close between those two, but Perron's a streaky guy. He goes through spurts where he doesn't score and then... He starts to light it up a little bit, but Pavel Buchnevich seems to be pretty consistently in front of the net. I know he's not scoring on a consistent basis, but man, if he's lined up with Jordan Cairo, and I think they took him off that line earlier today, I think he was with Thomas and Tarasenko. Who, Perron? Yeah. Uh, Perron was up with O'Reilly. No, 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 Buchnevich, I'm sorry. Because Cairo stayed with O'Reilly. Who did, did Buchnevich stay uh, with Thomas? Buchnevich, Thomas, and Tarasenko. So that that's a dangerous line, too. So I'll say Buchnevich because he's a lot more of a prototypical power forward in front of the net. Yeah, they, by the way, Sonny was centering the third line earlier today with Barbashev and Saad. Yeah, Those were the... You're going back to a fourth line mentality and hoping Steen can be Saad. I think it'd be more likely. I think I'm going to go you Perron. Bozak. Bozak with Steen. No. Well, yes, but they're they're trying to go back to the fourth line that won them the Stanley Cup with Sunquist and Barbashev. That's their third line right now. That's what I'm saying. They're just trying to get that chemistry back together, and then they're hoping Saad can have a little chemistry with them there. When gotcha. Braden Shen returns, it's going to change things all over the place. But for right now, they're trying to they're trying to create more offense and more energy with that line that was very replicable to what uh, the Steen Sunquist and Barbashev was was My a couple of years ago. Understood. Never happens. Don't worry. I, I think it's more likely Perron would be the guy to lead, the, in my opinion, over Buchnevich. But I get he is streaky, but when he's clicking, I think he has one of the best shots on the team. He And correct me if I'm wrong, he's usually on the top power play unit, and Buchnevich is not, right? Say that again? Perron, when he, yeah, he's Perron's on the, top, on the number one unit, and then Buch is on the second. second. So yeah, but the second's I, been the better one. But I think that will kind of correct itself. I think that number one unit will get going again, and that's kind of why I think Perron will be more likely to lead than Buch. More like... Uh, I am going to go with David Perron. David Perron, even still at this point, despite the the lack of production in his last, what, six games now? Like seven, I think. He has six goals on the season. He's technically third on the team right now. It's been a whole team slump that they've gone through of late. So I'm still sticking with David Perron as the guy that is more likely to lead the league or lead the team, rather. Not the league. Lead seems, the league. Seems very unlikely that he leads Did the league Did you see Leon Dreisaitl? He's very good. God, is that guy good. Uh, much more likely that it is Perron for this team leading the team in goals. Last one here. More likely to happen for the Cardinals. More likely that Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, or Nelson Cruz is the DH or somebody that played in AAA last year is the Cardinals DH next season. So Rosario Peterson Cruz, one of them ends up being the Cardinals DH next season. I'll even throw in as a, an addition on this. You can include Schwarber Castiano. So you, you wanted to change my answer so bad, didn't you? You sign a free agent to be your DH or you he comes from within. Uh, I, I think since you threw Schwarber in there and in Castellanos, I think I'm going to say more likely that it's one of those guys because I do believe that they're going to have serious interest in Kyle Schwarber, a guy that can hit right-handed pitching very well, could be a top-of-the-order guy for them. And then you could kind of platoon him if you want against lefties. You put Yepes there. I don't know if they will look at Rosario and Peterson as an everyday DH that would block the, the 
Don't look at me. I don't like them either. That would block you, Pez, and them. I, I, and same with Cruz. I, I, I think if it came down to those guys, just I don't know them. how we became the guys that are like, no, I don't want good players. <laughs> I want fewer yeah, good hitters. I like average. Mm, good players is a little bit of a long stretch. Better. I don't want better players. Well, I don't want okay players. Okay. I'm going to say it's more likely the, the big free agent. Not named Cruz. Not named Which one Cruz. would you go with? Which one do you think is the most likely out of I those think for the Cardinals? I think Schwarber is the most likely one because he's left. He's a leadoff guy for you. You can platoon him if you need be. He can play a corner outfield spot if you must have him, but I don't think you want him out Does there. Does it concern you at all that he strikes out a bunch and only hits 245 over the last three years? He, he slugs the hell out of the baseball, and he walks a ton. He is one of those three true outcome guys. Does it concern you at all that his, his batting average is low, and he does strike out a decent amount? As Jeff Albert once said, slug, baby, slug. <laughs> oh, that was me. Oh, sorry. I think it is the big bat as well. I think they go sign one. If I had to pick one that I think is most likely for this we team. Know Nelson Cruz. I actually think the most likely one that they would go with is Jock Peterson. Oh, but they had the opportunity to do it this past offseason and didn't do it. Jock wanted to play every day. He, he wanted He's to. No, no I, I actually worse. think it's the opposite because <laughs> he didn't perform well last year against right hand or against left handed pitching. I think he's now going to be open to the idea of, OK, I'm a designated hitter. I can't play in the field and I only play against righties. If he does come to that conclusion, I think this is a really good landing spot for him. Uh, speaking of guys that walk a lot, strike out a ton and hit a bunch of homers. Well, welcome to Jock Peterson's world. That's pretty much all he does. Um, but I think he's probably the most likely candidate to sign here out of any of those guys. Because I think it'll be a one-year deal. I think it'll come relatively affordable, all things considered. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, it is enough with the excuses for the St. Louis Blues. You are very close to being fully healthy. You have um, Sonny back at this point. You've got... Excuse me, a guy making his debut emotional? last night. I'm Sorry, very emotional buddy. about this. Hey, it's time back. to get back on track. I will try to get back on track as well. Coming up next. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You're coming off two emotional losses on the weekend and um, maybe you, you walk in and good teams just find a way to stop it before it gets out of hand and, and just dragging each other in the battle like I said I'm, I know I'm repeating myself but that's what it is and um, you know it starts with the the leaders the the older guys in the room and uh, bring in the young guys and and then everyone shows up and we do our job and, and we win games but uh, we got to find a, a way to grasp it. There's no more excuses for this team. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Tori Krug shooting it straight last night after the Blues lost their fourth straight game. This one coming at home in regulation against Arizona. Alex, they, they've got a lot of issues right now. Even strength has become an issue for them. They have been outscored by their opponents over the last eight games, 20 to 14 at even strength in this stretch. Their special teams have taken a dramatic step back. They went from second in penalty kill to right now they are 17th in the league. The power play was 0 for 3 last night. They were 0 for 2 on the PK. 
it feels like one of those situations where uh, you're not really sure what to criticize because all of it is worthy of some critique right now. The goaltending needs to be a little better, although not terrible right now. The defense needs to be much better. The defense from the forwards needs to be better. Going through the neutral zone is a disaster right now. The drop passes became hugely problematic. All of it. All of it just has to be better. The effort even needs to take a step forward. Last night needs to be what we look back on and say, that was an inflection point. That was the moment when things got back on track because they realized at that time, what we're doing is not working. How do they do that, though, Alex? What What is missing right now from their game? Uh, it's confidence more than anything. You remember when we talked last season, BK, where it was like the head dip moment, where one thing would happen in a game, the heads would dip, and then it would be game over. I don't think the Blues have had that this season. And frankly, up before, uh, up until last night's game, I would have said that the excuses are still allowed because Ryan O'Reilly did not look like himself up until last night's game. Um, you still really weren't 100% with Brandon Saad's game. But last night changed it, in my opinion, because O'Reilly was better. Brandon Saad actually had a great game before that dumb penalty in the third period. And frankly, Tori Krug, who skated once after being out for awesome. eight days, was the, one of the best players on the ice. So so there really aren't any excuses. But for me, it's confidence than anything. And, and O'Reilly said it last night. We, we got to put ourselves back in the win column to feel better about our game right now. And I think when you do that, if you win that game last night, three to two, and it's an ugly game, I think at least you look at it as, hey, we got the W. We put ourselves back in the win column. Now let's tighten things up. Now it's looking at it as, oh, my gosh, this is happening. This is happening. And this is happening. How do we get out of this slump? So right now, I think the focus for tomorrow night is play 60 minutes, but just get in the win column. Because once you put yourselves there, then things start to get a little bit easier. You start you stop grabbing the stick a little bit too tight. You start trying to make the easier plays rather than the fancy plays to score goals because frankly that's the bigger thing for me at even strength right now why this team's not scoring a whole lot of goals BK because they're trying to be too fancy with it and and it's getting away from that work in front of the net so for me I think what puts them right back on track and this gets corrected is when they put themselves back in the win column even if it is an ugly win last night was if you go back to the Cardinals season for them and w- when things were really going poorly, um, last night felt like that Pirates series where you lost three out of four. Yeah. Because before then, you had lost to the Braves, and at least you thought at that point in time, okay, the, the Braves are a pretty good team. You had lost to Cincinnati, who, again, at that point in time, pretty good team. You lost to the Dodgers in some rough games, but you were playing quality opponents previously to that. And then you went into that Pirates series after having lost two in a row against Detroit on the road as well. And all hell broke loose. It was like, this This has to be a time when everything changes. And if it doesn't, this is going to be a lost season. And at that point in time, you had played about 75 games for the Cardinals. So you were closer to halfway through their season. This is more like the quarter point for the Blues. So you're not quite that far into it. But the feeling is the same. The feeling of, it can't get worse than this. And if it does, something dramatic is going to have to happen to change it. That's how I felt at that point in time during the Cardinal season. And that's how I feel right now about the Blues. This team is too good to lose to that Arizona team at home. They are. They're, they're too talented for that kind of effort to be on display at home in front of your in front of your crowd. They've got basically everybody not named Braden Shin back. Every team in the NHL at this point in time is dealing with somebody being injured. A good player on just about every team is out right now. You got Sonny back. 
Perunovic made his debut last night and looked pretty darn good. And earlier today, he was skating with with your top four. So it looks like he's going to get even more ice time moving forward. Ryan O'Reilly finally looked like himself. Robert Thomas has taken the step. Jordan Cairo, yeah, there's some defensive lapses, but he's been excellent offensively. Vladimir Tarasenko looks healthy right now. And last night at the end of the game, had a great play as well. You've got to get it all to come together now. You've got to get everybody pulling the rope in the same direction. And I think that's what's so frustrating, Alex, is it's these little plays that are coming to bite them. Going through the neutral zone, a dumb pass that ends up getting turned over and it goes into the back of your net. On the PK, not pushing the dude out of the front of the net and ending up having your goalie screened as a result of it. Like It's these little things that become really big things over the course of a game, a series, whatever it may be. And that's where they're at right now. So it, I, I don't know what specifically they can change. I, I think it's more fundamental than anything else. I'm with you. Maybe it is the confidence, but it's got to get corrected and it has to start tomorrow. If night. there's one physical thing that needs to change, you got to go back to hitting. You got to go back to forechecking. You got to go back to going in front of the net. There can't be this shot from the blue line and guys just spread for the goaltender to see the puck from from shot to his glove. You got to start putting traffic in front of that net. Frankly, if there's a shot coming from the blue line, there needs to be two or three bodies in front of that goaltender, just like Arizona just did to you and scored their two of the three goals. Bodies in front of the net. If you're going to go one physical, fundamental element, because I do think the pie chart that you like, BK, a majority of it is the confidence. But I think if you want to get back on track in terms of your style, start dumping the puck in, start going to work for it, and from there, results are going to come. See, it, last night was weird because you mentioned dumping the puck in. They just they didn't do it No, very they were often. going for the passes in the neutral zone and trying to enter the neutral zone and get set up off of enter. And you can't do that with this system. Craig Berube's system is solely based off of puck goes behind the goaltender, you go bang bodies around so that you can set it up at the blue line. This team has done a pretty good job of melding that with speed. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, it's got to be one guy skating it through the neutral zone. And they've done a pretty good job of that this year. Robert Thomas has been excellent in that Kyrou respect. has been too. Kyrou's done a really good job with that. Even Brandon Saad has had a few games where it's like, okay, I, I see where that speed's coming through. But it, last night, it, it was as if they were almost meeting in the middle where they were passing through the neutral zone and then you wouldn't be able to get it through or you'd have a guy that was partially offsides. The one that sticks with me, I think it was Colton Pareko who just had to basically throw it to the other side of the ice because there was a guy that was offsides and it was just a free possession for the Coyotes. It was just yeah. sloppy. There's a couple of plays where it was the neutral zone and they didn't have the pass there. And so what they did is they opted to just pass it back to the defenseman and go get another line change. There's too much of the bodies on bodies off of the ice where you can't get any flow of the game going. You need a little bit more line shifts to where you can get the flow going on the offensive side. Somebody on the text line says Tanner is the smartest guy on this show. We need another shutdown defenseman. That would make a huge huge difference for this team can we admit that this is on armstrong for letting petrangelo go and that is ultimately where all of this began <laughs> thank you tax line i i don't know it i don't think you have to go back that far uh, maybe that is the original sin if you want to argue that I, that's fine but if you don't if you have petrangelo you don't have tory krug and you probably don't have five or six victories right now maybe not but maybe petro's good like setting that argument aside because at this point i'm just tired of having the petro discussion having the roster as is yeah you're you're missing a top four defenseman but before this is where it goes to the order of operations that we talked about earlier today alex 
before you go make the trade, I want to see what it looks like with Perunovic in yeah. your top four. He looked good last night. Is he going to be super physical on the back end? No, that, that's not how he plays. But there's a lot of teams right now across the league that aren't playing that way. Let's find out what this looks like. If he can get away with his size limitations, let's be honest, on the back end, uh, playing defensively the way that he has to. And if that works, awesome. If it doesn't, now you go make the move and you go find that top four defenseman that you've been looking for. If that works, great. And if it doesn't, then we can have some bigger picture questions, some bigger picture conversations about what the Blues are trying to do and if this is all working. But right now, I think over the next, what, five to seven games, let's see what Perunovic looks like while he gets his sea legs underneath him, and then we can we can have the next conversation after that. Yeah, I told the uh, I told Burton and Fandango in the Last Minute Blues podcast this morning, I said, I, I think you're going to see December or January they're going to experiment with all of these defensemen. They're going to see what Perunovic looks like as a top four guy. You might see Mikola skate with Colton Pareko in the next couple of games to see what he looks like. You could see uh, Tori Krug pop up there with Colton Pareko like we talked sure. about and Perunovic with Falk. You're going to see them. They're, they're going to exacerbate all their options with Wallman, Mikola, and Perunovic before they go out there and say, okay, now let's go make a trade because you, you got to find out what you have before you move on from it. Yeah, don't make the mistake that the Cardinals have made so many times. I where wasn't going to say it. You don't find out what your young guys do. You end up seeing elsewhere, oh, wow, that guy was good, and we needed exactly what he brought. Oh, crap. Now we've got to find that guy internally somewhere else. D- don't go that route. Let's see what Mikolo looks like in the lineup. I would love to see an opportunity for him. At least I know he's going to be physical. There might be some mistakes there, but at least I know he's going to go out there and he's going to be physical at the back end. Uh, let's, let's see what that looks like. Let's see what Perunovic looks like in the top four. And then if those don't work, shake them up a little bit. Try something new. Shake, shake, shake. A month from now, we can have a conversation about a potential trade. After that, we can have some conversations that are more big picture. Hopefully, at that point, things are fixed. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Ollie Marmel is not afraid to go with the young guys. Maybe he is in line with Tanner's thinking. We'll do that in about 15 minutes or so. But next, time to dive into the junk drawer with a line that I certainly would not be waiting for. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, coming up here in about 30 minutes or so. Excited to hear what he has to say about what happened last night to the blues. They are back in action tomorrow against the Sharks. Right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Boys, yesterday in Kansas City, there was the first Kansas City story. Uh, right, come on, is about the Chiefs? No, no, it's not sports related. This is the three minutes the every day that we get to talk about non-sports stuff. <laughs> and people yell at us <laughs> every single time. All the time. Yesterday in Kansas City, a new restaurant opened up and the lines started to build at 6 a.m. This fast food chain did not open until 11 a.m. The line started at 6. They didn't open until 11. I'm talking about Whataburger. It was the first one that was placed in Kansas City. Have you guys been to Whataburger before down in Texas? No, I have not. I've heard it's incredible. It is. I always confuse Whataburger with Mark Wahlberg's or the Wahlberg's <laughs> yeah. burgers. Wahlburger. Wahlburger. Those are solid. Those are those are good. But I've never had a Whataburger. But I've heard they're incredible. It's fine. Oh really? So it's it, not that great. In my opinion, there will be people on our text line that get mad at me for saying this, and that's fine. We've all got our different food takes. Um, I think Whataburger is 
incredibly so overrated. See, for me, I I love me some Culver's burgers. Sure. I think Culver's are better than Whataburger. Okay. And that's what I was going to ask. Is Culver's better than Whataburger? Because yes. if that's the case, then I don't know what the hype is for it. I don't either. But even if I loved it, even if I thought it was the greatest burger that I had ever had in my entire life. I see where you're going with this. Getting in line at 6 a.m. for a burger that I don't even have the opportunity to get until 11 a.m., I just can't relate. And you're not going to get it at 11 a.m. They just open at 11 a.m., which means you're probably not going to get it till 1. Are you really committing to sitting for seven hours for a damn burger you can go home and make? And on top of that, Alex, it didn't stop there. The line continued. It would be as if... Um, so I'm trying to think of what a, a local place is that's down the street from us. I don't know if there's a great one, but okay. So we've got, there's a couple fast food chains off of New Ballast, right? Right over here. We're in Creef mm-hmm. Corps. If that line went all the way down New Ballast and continued onto Olive, like towards the 270 exit, that's what it was like for the line to get into Whataburger. It was hours to wait in line to get your burger through the drive through at Whataburger. I... What psychologically makes people think, not only do I need to get Whataburger, I need to get it on opening day when I'm going to wait multiple hours in line yeah, what do you think to they be put able like to eat that burger. Gold cheese on it or something like that? that you Get, get it this three like, days later. Well, it's not even that. Wait a little bit and go get some other burger. But that's the part that you're a real jerk if you're going to clog up traffic so you can wait in line for a fast food restaurant. That bothers me so much at coffee places around the area. Like where Starbucks. Some of those. I'm not trying to name I people. I do love me oh, some love Starbucks. Too, but I just don't understand when there's a drive through And the drive through is wrapped around the damn building. And it's leaning out into the street. Oh, that's every day in St. Charles. I every don't understand day. it. Like, as a human being, I'm thinking, okay, this car's not going to be able to get behind me. And then they're going to be sitting in traffic. So maybe I should either pull into the parking lot and go inside and get a coffee. Or I should probably go check out somewhere else. Starbucks just isn't it today for me. I mean, there are like a million coffee shops that have now popped up all across the St. Louis metro area or St. Charles, wherever you're at. I promise you there are other options, but neither here nor there. I I just don't get it. I I really don't. You can have the best burger in the world, and somebody mentioned this, uh, High Point won best burger in the world recently. Well-deserved for them. Absolutely. It's a great burger. I've heard High Point's good, but I've never had it. Really? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are here, aren't they? Yeah. I've I've never had the opportunity to go get one. Yeah, it's not not too far from here. Probably a 15-minute drive down 64. I'm going to grab one on the way home. Uh, excuse me, I'm a St. Louis in 40, right down 40. It's farty. Farty far. Farty far. Farty far farty. Even for a high point burger or um, Max, for me, is my favorite burger here in St. Louis, Max Local Eat. I'm not waiting hours. I'm just not. I don't know that there's any line for any food in America that I would be willing to wait that long for. Yeah. People are saying Chick-fil-A has that too. You know what? Chick-fil-A does not have that because Chick-fil-A, really good job. Chick-fil-A's got it right to where they have people that stand outside and take your order so that all you literally have to do is pull up, get your food and move on rather than have to wait in the drive through line for people to order 1,500 things. That's the other thing and that I- bothers me at drive throughs When you're parked behind somebody and they are ordering like the entire menu. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Or they it don't is- know what they want. And sit there and 
stare at it for 45 oh, minutes and line for four hours. I just yeah. don't know. Can you hang Do on a minute? The single or the double burger? And then they ask questions too. Well, well, does this burger come with this? Oh, well, okay. Yeah, well, comes with on lettuce, tomatoes, onions, and pickles. God. You know what? Just solve all of this. Just I, go to Joy's. It's I easier. Feel, I feel bad for those people at that Whataburger, too, that work there because they get to oh, work dude. and they can just see oh, it Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Did you ever work at a restaurant, T-Bone? Uh, not a restaurant, but I worked at a, a like, small, not, it wasn't fast food, but it was yeah. like a drink shack. And we had that where it, our building was, it just had a small lot. Right. And it could hold, like, five cars. But we were popular at our hometown where we get you six or seven that. and it would block it. It sucked. You remember that when you pull up to the day? Because I remember at Red Lobster where you'd pull up and you'd work like the night shift and it would be cars all over the I place. I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings. There would be fight oh. nights and I would walk in and I'd be like, oh, oh God, this is going to be long. But you know you're going to make good money. That's so true. it ended up being worth it. That's why you're going in. So it, it, it's worth it. Yep. But, whoo, buddy, it is... Uh, it could be a nightmare sometimes. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, coming up in about 30 minutes or so. But coming up next, Ollie Marmol, there was a great piece on him from Rob Raines yesterday. There's a couple quotes about Ollie Marmol that makes me think maybe Tanner's not completely crazy no, he is. to believe that some of these young guys, they could get their opportunity as their designated hitter. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. When you look at, at bench players, when you're out in the in the free agent market, a lot of guys aren't looking for 150 at bats or 200 at bats. They're looking for everyday playing time. Um, I don't think people are like just admit that they're looking for that backup role. And when you think about like bench, I mean, we were sort of looking at like Matt Carpenter, someone that would give us that veteran presence off the bench. But even he hasn't, you know, played as well as we had hoped given the fact that he was used to being an everyday player. So it's not just spending, Randy. It's really about having a mindset of accepting that role. That was John Mosaylock in August talking about how difficult it is to find bench players that are veterans because they don't want to accept those roles. And that was the case for Jock Peterson last year. He said, I want to play every day. I don't want to play exclusively against right-handed pitching. I want to find a place where they're going to play me every day. Well, he did. He failed. Now he's probably going to end up being a bench bat moving forward. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, I think Ollie Marmol is the type of guy that's going to be able to have these conversations with whether it be veteran players, young players, whomever it is, to make sure that they're willing to accept their roles. I was reading a piece. Rob Raines had a great profile on Ollie Marmol. He talked to a bunch of different people that have been former players, coaches with Ollie, and I thought he got some really good insight into who Ollie Marmol is as a coach. He talks to Donnie Ecker, who was the hitting coach for the... The, the, the Rams punter? No, different. That's that Hecker. Johnny. Oh, okay. Not Donnie. And it's Hecker, not Ecker. That um, too. <laughs> and Donnie Ecker, who was the Giants hitting coach last year, was renowned for the job that he did with that team and now is apparently the offensive coordinator and bench coach for the Texas Rangers. They have offensive coordinator? Do they think that's a football thing? I, I'm not positive. It's in Dallas, so that would make Maybe some sense. Maybe he's running Houston as well. So Donnie Ecker was quoted in this story, and he said, I was a young, naive 
coach when I was with Ollie Marmel. I wanted to pinch hit for one of our first round draft picks in the sixth inning one game because I thought we had a better matchup on the bench to do so. Ollie Marmel came to me and said, I would like to do so as well. I want to win this game. But if we do that, Gary LaRock is going to clean out our lockers tomorrow. Ollie always knew how to balance player development in the minor leagues, but he knows there's a scoreboard as well, and the guy is ultra, ultra competitive, end quote. That came from Donnie Ecker. The reason why I find that to be a pretty interesting anecdote with the way that Ollie Marmol handled things down in the minor leagues is because something similar is also going to be true for him in the majors. He's got to be able to balance developing these players, Juan Yepes, Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, the guys that Tanner wants to start every day next year. Tanner's already making them all-stars. He's got to balance that with making sure that he's also playing the guys, especially early in the season, that have earned those opportunities based on the trajectories of their entire careers. So early on next season, I think it's likely Tommy Edmond starts every day at second base because Tommy Edmond has been a good player for the Cardinals, and he's earned that right. If he struggles against righties again next year, the way that he did last year, though, eventually you're going to have to make that switch. And you're going to have to go with maybe it's Nolan Gorman as your starting second baseman against right-handed pitching. I think that's something just based on everything that I've read so far, Alex, and it's hard to know until we actually see him placed into these spots that all he's going to be willing and able to do. I don't know that that was always the case with Mike Schiltz. I think at times that was a bit of a blind spot where He said it and forget it. And that's not a knock on Schilt. That's how a lot of managers, maybe most managers, handle those situations, especially with a player who is objectively good in Tommy Edmond. He's a good player, but you have the potential to be great there. That's what I'm going to be maybe most interested in finding out with Marmol is how how he handles those spots where you're already good, but you feel like there is a margin where you can become great there. That that's the kind of thing that he's going to be tested on early next year. I have a feeling that Marmol's not going to have as tough of a job with it compared to what Mike Schilt had to go through because Schilt had a lot of those veterans that felt like they deserved to play. Matt Carpenter, Dexter Fowler, guys like that. And, and if you look at the way that it's set up right now with Ali Marmol's team, I mean, only one spot. You got one spot, yeah. And, I mean, if you go out and sign a guy that plays shortstop, okay, well, then you're looking at Paul DeYoung and Mundo Sosa if you don't move them. Or if you get a DH, that's an outfielder, and you're looking at a guy who could be a fourth outfielder. But I don't look at this bench this season of guys that are going to be upset when they don't get the call to be the the guy for them. Now, things can change. If Nolan Gorman starts raking and Tommy Edmond struggles and they keep going back to Tommy Edmond, then maybe that's where the conversation comes into play. You have to have the conversation with Tommy Edmond. But for at least the setup right now, I feel like Ali Marmol, his bigger decisions are going to come on the pitching side of things rather than the position side of things. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And the other thing for me, too, that's going to make this a little bit easier for him to kind of balance this winning today versus winning tomorrow kind of mantra is that this is his first year. He's pretty well got job security. When you were oh, talking great, about yeah. when you were talking about Mike Schilt, I mean, even though we thought that there was no way they were going to fire him in season, once you get into your third, fourth season as a manager, that pressure of I have to win really starts to ramp up because you know your seat will warm up very quickly, and especially in a baseball city where the expectation is a championship every year. As a first-year manager, there's pressure to win, no doubt about that, especially entering this winning window. But it's not. I, I think he will be able to balance it better as a first-time manager, as a this is my first year, I know I have job security compared to being in his third or fourth year, and he'll be able to balance better of, okay, 
here's where I got to develop this guy. Here's where we think this guy can help us win. I, I think that's a little easier to balance as a first time, first year manager, rather than if you're fourth, fifth year, and then the hot seat can really start to heat up on you. I think there's some truth to that. I also think there's some truth to just Ollie's probably more open to some of these things than other managers would have been. And again, I keep bringing up Mike Schultz, but it's only because he was the but guy Matheny here. Matheny was the same way, too, because remember, they traded Alan Craig so they could play Oscar Tavares. Yeah. And Colt this is, Wong struggled because of Mike Matheny not wanting to play him. Randall Gritchick, same thing. And this is the case for a lot of managers across baseball. And it's it's changing now. Maybe it swung almost too much in the opposite direction. I think you can make a strong argument in favor of that. But there's probably 15 to 20 managers that would have done nothing different than what we saw from Mike Schiltz last year. But one of Ollie Marmol's former players also had this anecdote about him in this story. Again, this comes from Rob Raines, and it's it's worth your time. It's over on the KSDK website. His former player said, for the longest time, batting practice was just, you show up, you take 20 to 30 swings off of a coach who's throwing slow pitches to you, and then you go play. But Ollie Marmol and Donnie Ecker would just throw different things at us. Pressure situations, they'd give us different looks. That's normal now. It just makes more sense. It's better for us as players. And that's what's cool about Ollie Marmol. He doesn't really go with the status quo. He saw things very differently. He's always questioning, is there a better way to do this? It's normal now all across baseball, but Ollie was thinking that way and doing those things before it was ever considered to be cool. The St. Louis Cardinals in the early 2000s were a trendsetter. When Tony LaRusso was here, they were on the front end. They were on the cutting edge of what was taking place trend-wise in baseball. They're no longer that team. When people are looking to other teams right now across baseball of what are the next waves? How do we find that edge? They're looking to the Giants. They're looking to the Dodgers. They're looking to the Rays. Those are the teams that have become the model organizations. I think in some ways the Brewers have become that for the smaller market teams to find a way. Okay, how do we emulate what they're doing? I think some of the things that Ollie is going to do, and not all of them are necessarily analytics driven, by the way. Maybe there's some defensive stuff where practice-wise, in spring training, the way that he organizes things, maybe there's some stuff that better utilizes a player's time. Maybe there's sleep science stuff that is going to better be able to recover these players. Whatever it ends up being, I think that's the kind of thing that he was brought in to do. He's brought in to question things. He's brought in to see what's the next edge for the St. Louis Cardinals. Alex, I don't know if you remember this, but when John Mosellock was promoted to president of baseball operations, he said one of the things he was going to focus on was bigger projects of finding that next edge. I don't think he had the time to do that, that he expected to. He said publicly, frankly, that he didn't. I think this is him going to this manager, Ali Marmol, is part of that. I think this is part of what's our next edge. Can it be our manager? And I think we're going to find out that the next three months until the season, four months until the season, and then early on in next season, we're going to find out just how far they're able to go down that path. Well, and you look at the guy who just won the um, manager of the year award with the San Francisco Giants, and it's a player that is doing exactly what the Cardinals are wanting to do with Ali Marmol. So it does give you hope and give you some optimism. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that this is kind of that project that they're throwing out there. And you can even see Moe's trying to get creative in terms of pitching, going away from what everybody wants to do as well. He wants to get guys that are going to throw strikes and play to the defense. There's, I can't name another team in baseball that's the doing Cubs that. The Cubs tried it last year, but they did it without the defense. <laughs> and it, it failed miserably. So the offense, there's really the nobody else trying to do that. So, I mean, Moe's trying that in pitching. Then, like you said, he's going to try and get the advantage with the manager. 
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is going to join the show in about 15 minutes to talk about what in the world happened to the Blues last night. Kerbs and at 1.30. But coming up next, the Blues are not going to get back to form until these guys are able to get back to what they should be. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Well, you just got to go and work. Like to be honest with you, the confidence and uh, momentum and all those things come from just hard work and really good team play. That's the bottom line, you know. So Thursday we need to turn it around, but you got to just go and trust the process and go play and play for 60 minutes and not lay your foot off the gas. Um, you know, we didn't do that tonight. We played for 20 minutes, in my opinion. That was Craig Berube after the game last night. We'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, for the Blues to get back on track, they need their best players to start performing at a high level again. Because right now, you look at what you've had out of your your top players. Do you guys know when the last time was that David Perron scored a goal? The last goal that David Perron uh, scored was It was the game that O'Reilly had the assist, so October 23rd? 25th. 25th. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. October 25th was the last time. It was that a power David play Perron goal, scored. wasn't it? Um, it was not. It wasn't. So that was the last even two strength against, goal. He had two on the 23rd. So that might be what you're thinking mm-hmm. of there. In his last 10 games, he has zero goals, four assists, and is a minus three in terms of what he's done on the ice. That's got to be better. You, you got to improve. Prior to last night, when I thought he played really well in his last five games, Ryan O'Reilly had zero goals and zero assists. He was a minus two when he was on the ice. He needed to be better. In his last, what is this now, 10 games, eight games, coincides with the Blues not playing well, Colton Pareko is a minus eight when he's been on the ice. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that when you're playing at your best, you expect them to be some of your top performers. And right now, it just hasn't been that way. The Blues added depth this offseason because they had to. But the expectation going into the year was that guys like Pareko, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, they were givens. They they were, you could look at the back of their hockey card and you knew exactly what you were going to be able to expect from them. I think Ryan O'Reilly looked last night like he was getting back on track. I am not worried about David Perron or Colton Pareko and what they're going to be this year. I think they're fine or they will be fine. But right now, why are the Blues struggling? Because some of their best players just haven't been playing all of that well. And once those guys get back on track, I think everything else will start looking a lot better because the other guys will be able to find their games a little easier when your top performers are playing where you expect them to be. Yeah, I'm going back and looking at this in the start of the year. You know, the first game against Colorado, you know who scores in that game? Perron, Shen, O'Reilly. You get points from Pareko and Cairo. The next game against Arizona, Cairo is scoring goals. Buchnevich is scoring goals. Falk is scoring goals. Then the next game, it's Tarasenko and Saad. Like, you getting continuous contributors, but your best guys are the ones that are on the score sheets every night. And then you go and look at October 25th, where O'Reilly and Perron both had points. From there, that's where the skid started to truly happen for the Blues. And, if I'm not mistaken, that's where COVID hit Brandon Saad and Ryan O'Reilly. December mm-hmm. to our October 28th against the Avalanche is where the COVID started impact. So, as much as people don't want to hear it and say it's an excuse... That's where you truly come to in the analysis of this team and say, 
they just haven't had guys at 100%. And I know nobody has 100% guys in the early portion of the season when you go through uh, injuries once you start playing in COVID. But when you have the guys who are the most important factors in your team and they aren't 100%, that's where it becomes a problem. And for Colton Pareko, that's the one that's really surprising to me because he doesn't look hurt. He doesn't look like he's not at 100%. It just looks like whatever was working with Marco Scandella has faded away. And now they don't know who to play with them because you don't want to take Krug off of the Falk line and you don't want to put, you know, Jake Wallman or Robert Bortuzzo or Nico Mikola in that big of a position because, frankly, they've only played less than 50 games in the NHL. So that's why you bring up Scott Perunovic because Perunovic, you feel like, can handle it. Now you can move Krug up. They're just trying to find somebody to play with Pareko to get some chemistry. That top line in that first game, do you have that? The, the yeah. first game of the season, the top line for the Blues. If I'm not mistaken, I think data it, machine over here. I think it was Sod, O'Reilly, and Perron. Yeah, it was. If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're talking about two of your top three guys, and I know Tanner has been saying all day long, you got to talk about all three. What about Brandon Sod? He hasn't been playing well either. He's got three goals in the hell, last man? eight games. What the he's hell, got, man? He, he's been fine. One bad penalty. Yeah, he, he's been fine. I think we trade him. <laughs> <laughs> two of your top three from that top line in the opening night have not performed well over the last two weeks. Your top defenseman, your number one defenseman is a minus eight. What's gone wrong with the blues? It's staring us in the face. Their top guys haven't been performing like that. If they get back on track and uh, let's do a poll around the room real quick. Do you guys believe Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron and Colton Pareko are sooner rather than later going to be back to playing well? I don't want to speak for you, Tanner, because I know you probably disagree with his sentiment, but I think all three will be fine at some point in the near future. I think I agree with that. actually. Whoa. I am, I, a, I, am how, little, I am a little curious to see how long it takes Pareko to get going, but O'Reilly and Perron, I think, will get going I think going Pareko gets going as soon as he gets somebody who can Agreed. who I can match, match the chemistry on his line. I think Perron's just hurt. I, that's my honest belief. Is he's still hurt, something's nagging him. I think he's hurt, but I also think, well, and I don't know if he's hurt, because like if he was hurt, you wouldn't be seeing him at morning skates and the days after. Like they give them, You remember when Pareko was hurt and he was playing through it. They were He wasn't showing up to practices. I, I mean, I think, even Shin wasn't practicing there for right. a while. I, I think this truth truly is Perron not having the chemistry. I think this all comes down to chemistry, guys. Like Perron not having the chemistry with O'Reilly where they broke them up. And then when you think about it, you lose Braden Shen. Kyra and Buchnevich get separated. Thomas Tarasenko and Barbashev have been the line that has stayed consistently. But you've had to take Bozek off of your fourth line, and you're trying to figure out who matches. It's been Dakota Joshua. It's been Jake Neighbors. You've thrown so many guys into that fourth line. You don't have the depth of line combinations that you had at the start of the season. I would agree with that but the, I mean they, they cycle them so often during games as well that I have a tough time I think the pairings is what the problem is but like, the early portion of the season man they really weren't cycling they were sticking with those five those four it was working. yeah it was working but we, we've heard Craig Berube come on with the fast lane and say hey listen I, I switch those guys up all the time I think the the defensive pairings is more important than the, than the line combinations but in the past you've at least had the pairing like you've had O'Reilly and Perron they'll switch who that third guy is they'll filter that guy out but it's always been O'Reilly and Perron. Things got so bad there for a while that it wasn't even O'Reilly and Perron to start off games. And that's what I think. They apparently were back together earlier today at morning skate. I think they're going to be fine. And so today it feels like the world is is crumbling around the Blues. I, I am worried about this team. Don't get me wrong. My concern level, the, the meter it has raised after losing last night to the Coyotes. That That was troubling. 
But if these guys get back to playing the way that we all know they're capable of, the Blues are still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to be all right. Craig Berube's going to go back to looking like a fantastic head coach because he is a very good head coach. And they're, they're going to get back to their winning ways. It's hard to watch right now. They have one win in their last eight games. I'm not going to sell you something that's not there. What it's, is it, two regulation wins in their last ten? Excuse me, one regulation win in their last eight games. Yeah, two, two in their two last Two regulation 10. wins in their last ten. It's been bad. And those wins, by the way, are a 5-3 to three win at San Jose and a one nothing win against Chicago. It's been ugly. And a one nothing win against Chicago. That's That Impressive. was a team that didn't... No, that was a team that didn't have Patrick Kane, that didn't have a couple of defensemen. The, the wins that they... With the exception of the San Jose Sharks one, because that had Joel Hofer in that, and I think you're probably looking at a 5-1, 5-2 victory in that game. Uh, no disrespect to Joel, but that was his first NHL game, and they played a little loose, and they put him in a bad spot. But I think if if... The, the the wins are even concerning because you're just not seeing that offensive output. But again, I go back to the amount of guys that have gone in and out of the lineup because 10 games, two regulation victories, 10 games was when Brandon Saad hit COVID and then Ryan O'Reilly and then the down spiral of everything. Well, if we're going to brag about their depth all year long, and 100% it's getting tested, agree with you. Then, then it's got to show itself. you got to be able to, be, to you know, win through adversity like the this. The Cardinals this season bragged all offseason about how they had three different rotations that they could use, and nobody else had the kind of pitching depth the Cardinals had. Then their depth was tested, and it broke. And they didn't actually have the depth that they thought. So I, I've got to bring that same mindset here into what we're talking about with the Blues. We're going to talk all, all offseason about how deep the forward lines were, and they have a few guys go out, and they don't perform well. Okay, well... We've got to reevaluate some of what that looks like. That being said, this is a very good text from the 6-3-0. Guys, look at how many high-danger scoring chances they've had of late. They're just not finishing. That's a team stat. I know nobody wants to hear it right now, and I'm not blaming you for doing so. When they were winning, I asked you, Alex, hey, there are some trends. This was, I think, right around the Kings game, if I'm not mistaken. When they had lost two of three, it might have been after Anaheim. I'm not sure exactly what the timing was, but they had started losing a couple of games and some of the advanced numbers on them in, in that recent stretch. They didn't look good. It looked like their, their scoring chances, this was going to go in a, a negative direction. Since then, over the last eight games, they've actually had a lot of really good scoring chances. They've been really, they've created they, a lot of offense. It just hasn't gone in. Mm-hmm. And I know nobody wants to hear it. This is like talking about Matt Carpenter's batting average on balls in play. Okay, nobody well, wants to hear that. it. He Let's was hitting the hard, ball hard. Though. It just wasn't going, it wasn't dropping for him. It's the same thing that's happening right now for the Blues. They're getting chances. They're just not going in. I do think this is going to correct itself. I don't think it's going to take too much time. I think you see a much better effort tomorrow night against the Sharks. I'd be pretty surprised if they don't win. You want to predict a score, final score right now? Uh, four to two. Five one Blues. Wow. What's up? Five one, four two. Uh, T Bone's going to go three two overtime loss. Yeah, I think I might go with a loss to the Sharks. Yeah, yeah if, there, if there's any, if there's anything that is sustainable about what they're doing right now, it's the offense. Yeah. The, the the offense, while not. It's not leading to points. It's not leading to goals, but I think it will. Mm-hmm. If they keep playing the way that they have last night, excluded. That was ugly. Um, but otherwise, in this eight-game stretch, their offense is going to come around. The defense is the stuff that I'm a lot more concerned about than what they're you doing what? offensively. I- I'll right make now. a bold prediction for you. Blues win 4-1. Throw your hat on the ice because Vladdy's going to have a hat. And you can okay. check them at your radio. Speaking of which, on the call tomorrow night is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He's going to join us coming up next. We want to find out what he thinks about last night's effort and how does this team get back on track? Does he agree? It's basically those top three guys. They got to get them going again. We'll ask Chris Kerber next on 101 ESPN. 
This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Sliman Brothers, your local appliance expert. Online at SlimanBros.com. You remember those Southwest commercials where something ridiculous would happen? <laughs> Going to get away. I do need to get away, as we clearly just heard. I feel like we, we deserve what after was, this. What was worse, that or my Andy Dalton? Uh, you and Dalton oh, sure. dude, if we've got that audio yeah, of you with to, Andy Dalton, we need, we to, need to find, to find, find that, that audio. Find yeah, that audio, T-Bone. Uh, that was, was an a great timer. It was a great Tanner, life. Tanner for, he couldn't get through his Sports Center update because we were both looking at each other asking... <laughs> Sports Center brought to you by Slimer Brothers now? Like, where did this come from? Slimer Brothers are great, don't get me wrong, and Curbs will tell you all about how great they are. I just bought a dishwasher from them. But I I don't know that they are sponsoring their sports centers now, and certainly not before we get to what the sports center is. He stopped dead in his tracks and looked at both of us when he said Slimer Brothers. I was like, why are you I guys looking at I was trying to figure out why, why you guys were doing that, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, and I said then, the wrong thing. And then his response was, Oh, let me tell you who the sports center was brought to you by before I get to the actual sports center itself. So uh, all around, really just dynamite performance by our guy T-Bone. want to get away? I do want to get away. <laughs> Tanner did one T-Bone three and now has decided he doesn't have to do the sports center updates. That's what's happening here. All right. Speaking of curves, the voice of the blues is joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Uh, he was on the call last night as the blues lost their fourth straight game. They have now lost uh, five of six and he mentioned it during the post-game analysis with Alex Ferrario as well. One regulation win in their last eight games. It is not going well for the St. Louis Blues. Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. What happened last night against Arizona? You know what? I, I think it's, it's just a classic situation of not enough people uh, you know, taking the opponent you got uh, seriously enough. I, I think look, when, when, when you see enough of the games, you, you realize – the team was on the road for a long road trip. They came home for two days. They went back out on the road to Carolina. They got hyped up for Carolina. They got hyped up for Edmonton. A couple of mistakes. You lose points in those games because you couldn't get those games even to overtime. you know. And then now you're home for a couple of days and with everything going on and having a mix of, of, of a group here, too, where it's not all young guys and it's got you got veteran guys with families, too. It's a, uh, you know, there's, there's a... Um, you know, there's sometimes that the wind comes out of the sails, and it happened yesterday. And, you know, talking to some of the guys today going down to the rink, we talked to Craig Berube, talked to Scott Perunovich. You know, we heard from, from Justin Falk. You heard from some other guys. It's just, uh, you know, no one's happy about it. They, they know what's happened, and this is a group that's, uh, you know, ready to, to bounce right back. And, Curbs, we listened to Craig Berube's press conference last night on our postgame show, and he referenced confidence a couple of times. Ryan O'Reilly referenced confidence a couple of times. This just seems like one of those things where you're in the middle of a rut and just things keep going against you. Uh, you look at the late goals for Edmonton, the late goal for Carolina, the late goal for the Nashville Predators. It does seem like, though, that the confidence shifts when you put yourself just back in the win column, even if it is an ugly win. Yeah, listen, wins are wins, and in the end, you just need the points to get into the playoffs, and then you start. And then over a series, that's when coaching and all this other stuff can can really, you know, you know, wear another team down. the The problem that, that you have is how tight this is, and we, and we saw this last year. Now, you got to be careful comparing this year to last year from this standpoint. The fifty six game season was a sprint. That's how it works, and and we've been part of 
lockout or strike-shortened seasons, and there's just a different level. For example, in a 56-game season, a team that has a, you know, a really solid start that really wasn't expecting it can impact you the whole rest of the year. In an 82-game season, the water really tends to level here. You know, and, and we're only 15 games in. You know, so it's when you get to that 25-30 game mark, I think that you really start to see what is the true personality and characteristic of your hockey team. I think we're seeing teams all across the league deal with all sorts of, you know, adversity at the beginning of the year with some injuries and then obviously this COVID situation. So that that no doubt has played a part in it. But as Craig Berube said today, then those are all excuses and we've got but we've got good enough players. We're we're getting plenty of scoring chances. We've just got to get sharper and finish him up. He wants tighter play up and down the ice. You can see that when you watch practice today. You know, special teams as they get back on track. That that has not been good in the last couple of games for for the Blues. So there are definitely things to work on here. You know, but you know, I don't think as look as, as ugly and frustrating as that loss was. You know, you got to make sure that when you're playing every other day, you're just coming right back to the ranking and, and ready to get to work because you've got to make sure that it does not snowball into worse things you you just don't want to give back all the equity that you earned with a terrific start and and to me that that's important so uh, the big one against san jose tomorrow with, with two goaltenders that have been playing extremely well uh number one uh they're healthier than we saw them earlier in the year number two and they just came off a terrific win on the road in minnesota the voice of the blues chris kerber is joining us here on 101 espn curb something that we just discussed a little bit ago i'd love i'd love to get your thoughts on this as well uh, some of this just comes down to the top players for the Blues just not quite looking like themselves of late. Ryan O'Reilly looked great last night, but in the five games prior, after having coming back from COVID, and there's obvious explanations as to why this was the case, uh, five games, no points, a minus two while he was on the ice. Uh, David Perron, in his last 10 games, zero goals, four assists. He's a minus three on the ice. Colton Pareko in his last eight games, Zero goals, four assists, a minus eight on the ice as well. Is some of this just as simple as when those guys get back to their games? I mean, that's two players that are on your top line and your top defensemen. This will probably start to level out in your words. Yeah, I think Ryan O'Reilly actually had a really good game last night. Uh, I thought it was his best game since coming back. Um, he had he had energy. He had, a, you know, the work was there. Well, hell, the work with him is always there. You know, but he hit the post. There was two assists in the game. You know, I, I thought that that was his, his best game without a doubt. Um, and, and I, th- I still think guys, I still think that even though you're hearing that some of these COVID cases are not overly symptomatic, they're not, they're not all asymptomatic, but so some symptoms have been there. I think what we're finding out, not just with some of the blues players, but when, when, you know, when, when kicking some tires around the league here too, finding out that some of the symptoms, especially just kind of getting the back into shape because they don't want you working out while you've got those other symptoms, it's taken players a little longer and you feel the effects. I, I know last year we had players that felt some of the effects of having COVID for quite a while beyond when they were able to get back and play. So I, I'm not real quick to, to judge those coming back from there because it appears to be really different for every guy. Um, but yeah, li- listen, BK, I think more, more to your point, uh, you've got to get David Perron back to where he's he's working and creating the chances. He hasn't been creating enough scoring chances on his own. Um, Colton Pareko, part we always talk about his shot. We don't see that enough, but it's his skating ability that makes him so good for a big guy. And I think in the last couple of games, you'll see him get the puck 
and, and you see him not skating up the ice with it right away. And that's what's something that jumped off the page at me last night. Craig Berube touched on a little bit today in, in, his, in his presser, too. Yeah, um, well, actually, when we met him afterwards, I don't know if this part was in his presser, but they, like, I, I've just seen too many times where, you know, our guys in that game last night, defensemen have the puck. They've got the ability to go into the zone with it, and instead they're peeling back into their own end to let the forwards change. And the problem is, is when you're doing that, you're letting Arizona change. They're setting up in their defensive scheme, and then you have to break their defensive scheme when you come up the ice versus if you get it in there, maybe you extend the shift. I mean, every now and then somebody's got to be out there for more than 35, 40 seconds. You extend the shift. You put the pressure on there. You don't let them change their D. Maybe some forwards come on behind you, and, and you start to create some zone time pressure. That's something that this team hasn't done much in the last few games. I, I think the, the defensemen have got to get much more active in the, in the offensive side of things on the offensive half of the red line. Curbs, we're looking forward to it tonight, as you mentioned, or tomorrow night, rather, excuse me, as you mentioned, a big one against the Sharks that has uh, taken on an outsized importance given what the Blues have done in their last few games. Uh, pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario tomorrow night right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN at 6 o'clock. And Curbs, I know tomorrow is a special post-game edition as well. Uh, I believe you guys are going to be out at OB Clark's. Is there anybody confirmed as a, a guest for tomorrow night? I know last week you guys had Danny Cox, which was awesome to listen to. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. There, there's nobody in St. Louis that can talk hockey better, that knows more hockey history in St. Louis than, than Mike Claiborne. And uh, with him and Bob Ramsey, who are two of the godfathers of St. Louis sports talk, um, it, it, it's an awesome pairing. So we've we paired those guys up. They're going to come over and join us over at Obi Clark's. So uh, we're looking to have a, a terrific night with those two guys and, uh, and shooting the bull on some sports. And, and hockey and, and, and even, you know, a little St. Louis history here with this one. So I'm looking forward to that show tomorrow night. That'll be great. Can't wait to hear that. That'll be right here on 101 ESPN tomorrow night after the game. Curbs, always appreciate the time, man. Talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time to cross things over with the fast lane. We have Anthony Stalter in studio with us. Stalter, what's good, man? What's How up, you doing? boys? Everything's good. Everything's good. We're hanging in other than the blues, but I'm sure you guys will break that down. I'm from doing two to better six. than Stal- than uh, B- BK is Stalter. He's he's struggling today. You're struggling. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a tough blow for him last night. We have Baruby coming up at two fifteen. He'll bring me up. Oh, yeah, he'll put. He'll ask him. He'll that. raise it. Hell is going on here. First would, question out of the gate. Wouldn't recommend doing that. No, no. Okay. I uh, I've had a couple of run-ins with uh, with coaches. I I would Ooh. phrase the I would phrase the question a little differently. And if he asks you what you would have done, I I wouldn't respond. There's an intimidation would, factor like <laughs> variable there, though. I feel like that was the tipping point. I feel like that's when that's he when answered we, it. That's when we really saw Schiltz go off the rails a little bit. The part that got people me. wanted to see him give a little bit of. Uh, 
excitement factor in yeah. the post game show. They got it. He certainly uh, the did. Part that, the part that got me when I was watching it, and then I had to rewatch it a couple times that night, was when he asked him. He said, "What would you have done?" I don't think I would have answered that. And BK just went right. Well, well I think I would have put <laughs> this guy in in this scenario. My my thought process was, I'm gonna say tomorrow on the radio what I would have done there. Yeah. I'm a fraud if I don't do that right now. And that's what went through my mind. And I don't blame uh, you. he uh, he took exception with it. <laughs> right. You and, could see the the red in his yeah. face. I think. What really, uh, what really, if we're going to go down this path, what really got to him was me saying, "But that's not my job," and he he made yeah. sure to let me know that it's right. It's not <laughs> your job, yeah. and now it's not his job. So, boom! Hey, I feel bad. Roasted. About that. Feel it's bad actually about that. partially your fault that that happened. That started that's the philosophical differences. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Stoltz, I I trust your baseball acumen. What do you think of Nelson Cruz? Love him. What do you think of Nelson Cruz on a one-year deal worth like eh, eight to ten million dollars? For the Cardinals? Yeah. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I'm out Can you stalls. get these two knuckleheads? on Nelson Cruz? He's too old. Too old. To get the guy hits home runs consistently. Mm-hmm. He's, he's in his prime when my grandpa was. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, can, your, can your grandpa hit 450-foot bombs? He could in, like, the 40s. Well, sign him up. It's crazy. Well, he can't now. Boy, yeah. Nelson, that's yeah. the difference. Nelson Cruz can. Nelson sorry Cruz for, is still doing it. Tanner, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh. Nelson Cruz is awesome. Nelson Cruz this is guy's, trending in the wrong direction. You're signing a trend? guy who's trending in the wrong direction. How many 12 home runs with the team he was traded to midseason last year? In his last 50 games. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not great. 12 home runs in 50 games? Yeah. You don't like that? There's better options out there, Stoltz. Yeah, I'm a huge Nelson Cruz There's fan. There's better options out who's there the than better, a 41-year-old. Who's the better option? Kyle Schorber. Yeah, for an extra $10 million a year. I'm sorry, do you want a good team? Yeah, and Cruz helps me become a good Money, Money's not an option. We got the wallet open. It's fine. No. Ta- money's Tanner always really an said, I don't want to block Juan Yepes with <laughs> yeah, Nelson what? Cruz. I never jumped on board <laughs> that. That was a terrible what? take. Come on. I never it's jumped a real on board thing with that. that. Happened. Nelson Cruz is incredible. Mm. Not as good as Yepes. He's old. He is the guy, very who old. Has, the guy who hasn't had a major league at bat yet. Is that what you're saying, Tanner? Hey, he must be good. They put him on the wild card roster without a major league at bat. <laughs> well. How'd he do in the wild card game? He was Schilt so, didn't use him. He was so Wayno. good that Schilt said, you know what, I would rather hit Wayno here. Right. That's a yeah. Schilt Sign, thing. That's not a Yepes thing. Sign me up for Nelson Cruz mm. any day of the week. I 26 and 55 tw- games, I'm out. And twice on Wednesday. I heard your guys' uh, conversation yesterday about why we're so in love with the shortstop market and why we feel like that is the route that this team has to go. And it yeah. got it, it just got me thinking, because like, yeah, that... That is what I've been trying to get to over the last few days and really a couple of weeks now is like the shortstops would be awesome. I would love for this team to sign uh, Carlos Correa or Corey Seager. If they go that route, great. I'm all in. But the realistic scenarios are probably not going to. So if they're not going that route, and if you think that Trevor Story is going to get five years and $125 million, and if all we're concerned about is just upgrade uh, upgrading offensively, well, to be totally honest... Nelson Cruz upgrades your offense more than Trevor Story does. Nelson Cruz is a better hitter, pure hitter, than Trevor Story is. Right. Trevor Story helps you defensively as well. But if if all we want to do, and you guys made this point yesterday, it was a, such a good one. If all you want to do is upgrade the offense, there are probably five other dudes that might upgrade the offense more yeah. than Trevor Story or some of those other back-end shortstops on the market this offseason. Yeah, BT, BT had asked me point blank, do you care where the o- offense comes from? No, I don't. I don't care where the offense comes from. My thing on the shortstop position is that this is what's available right now. Sure. You know, th- that's that's the main thing. I think the Cardinals should be should be in on shortstops right now because th- you don't, you're never going to have a 
not ever. You're not. You're rarely going to have another opportunity where you have so many guys that are available in their prime that can do they can do more than just it or do more that can just field. A year from now, if you need a shortstop, you're going to kick yourself for not being in on in on one of these guys uh, during this offseason. So I think they should they should have extensive conversations with the agents for these shortstops. I'm with you. Is it realistic? BK, no, I don't think it is. I don't think the Cardinals ultimately go that route. The other thing is, we don't know if Corey Seager will want to play in St. Louis. Maybe he wants to stick with the Dodgers. Maybe Carlos Correa wants to go to uh, Detroit. You know, Detroit, exactly, where well, now we, all of a sudden... Well, we know he doesn't want to go to New York anymore. Who, buddy? No. Can't. see his comments about Jeter? Did he crush him? He said Derek Jeter didn't deserve any of his gold gloves, and now I don't think the Yankees can sign him. I'm serious. <laughs> I can't I don't go to the Yankees. Think you can go to the that. Yankees after that. Yeah, hey, he hasn't made comments. About, he hasn't made comments about Ozzy yet, so he's still a Cardinal. <laughs> yeah, so that's, 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 that's a good point. Good call. Imagine that if he said if he came out and said um, Ozzy never deserved gold gloves, you can't sign him. No. Yeah. 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 He, he's lost the fan base. I'm I'm like half kidding, but I'm kind of serious. No, I don't I'm, think I'm, you could sign that player. There's no kidding involved with that. You can't. Yeah. You take a shot at a legend on that team because the Yankees. The the there there's there's history that does come with the Cardinals. There's history that comes with the Yankees. I yeah. agree with that. There there is this mystique when mm-hmm. it comes to okay, you're going to put on the pinstripes if you're Yankees, or you know you're going to put on the red jacket at some point if you're can't be if disrespecting you're the, the legends. No, not at all. Not at all. No, well, if that, it was a run, maybe a little different. That was smart, Carlos. That was real smart. You got one. <laughs> of the, you got the team. A team that needs a shortstop that spends more money than than most than most yeah. in Major League Baseball. You just crapped all Wait, over. There. It was like Their two guy. days prior. He took a picture in New York saying like New York City bound. It's like what are we doing wow. here, man? That doesn't make sense. But anyways, that's that is why bingo bingo bongo. That's why the Cardinals should go out there and get somebody exactly. that would improve the offense yeah, regardless of position. Right. <laughs> but I would be involved. I would be involved in shortstops because again, that's that's what's available. It's like the quarterback. It's like the quarterback class last year. Hey, you need a quarterback this year, right? Well, we'll pass on one. We don't need a quarterback right now. The Panthers, they they could use one still. The Broncos, they Good could luck still this use April. one. Trying to find your franchise guy. You might, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more difficult than what you, you know, saw this, this past April mm-hmm. when you have four guys up there. Five. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane? I know you guys have 2.15, Craig Berube, yeah. 3 o'clock, Skip Schumacher. Yes, so oh, we're, we're loaded. Star-studded. We're loaded today. So, yeah, so Berube, 2.15, Skip at 3. Jeremy Rothford at 4.45. Hey, bigger I'm, guess. I'm really interested in talking to JR, too, because he sat, he sat with uh, Perunovic. Scott Perunovich's family last mm-hmm. night. That's that. That was a great story. Maybe you'll give us some other insights too on you know that. Me as a parent, I got emotional watching them watch Scott yeah. skate around. I mean, there's just it, it just hits you differently when you're a parent. That's coming up from two to six. We will be back tomorrow at ten here on 101 ESPN.